Egon Schiele hat einen maßlos wichtigen Aufbruch in die moderne Zeit gebracht. Und dann darfst du nicht vergessen, Otto Wagner, den großen Baumeister. I really think this is a civilization in decline. Look at the service. I mean, where is the waitress? In New York, this person would be out of a job. Tom, was ist da drin in dem Wasserbett? Sag mal. Ja, wahrscheinlich hat er es angeschifft. Okay. Now I'm going to call my best friend in Paris, who I'm supposed to have lunch with in eight hours. Okay? Okay. Dring, 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 dring. Pick up. What? Pick up the phone. Oh, hello. Hello? Mmh. Vanice et Céline. Ah. Comment ça va? Ça va bien. Et toi? <laughs> Il m'est arrivé quelque chose d'incroyable. Uh, I've been working on my English recently. Will you want to talk in English just for laughs? Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's a good idea. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it for lunch today. I'm sorry. I, I met a guy on the train and I got off with him in Vienna. We're still there. Are you... Crazy? Probably. Well, he's Austrian? He's from there? No, 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 no. He's passing through here, too. He's American. He's going back home tomorrow morning. Why'd you get off the train with him? Well, he convinced me. I mean, actually, I was... <laughs> I was ready to get off the train with him after talking to him a short while. He was so sweet, I couldn't help it. We were in the launch car, and he began to talk about him as a little boy seeing his great-grandmother's ghost. I think that's when I fell for him. Just the idea of this little boy with all those beautiful dreams. He trapped me. Mm -hmm. And he's so cute. He has beautiful blue eyes, nice pink lips, greasy hair. <laughs> I love it. He's kind of tall and he's a little clumsy. I like to feel his eyes on me when I look away. He kind of kisses like an adolescent. It's so cute. What? Yeah, we kissed. <laughs> it was so adorable. As the night went on, I began to like him more and more. But I'm afraid he's scared of me. You know, I told him the story about the woman that kills our ex-boyfriend and stuff. He must be scared to death. He must be thinking... Welcome to the Film Effect Treatment. Uh, let's get ready to the It's the Film Effect Podcast. I have sharpened up my blades. This cellular is being shredded with I've smoked a lot of fucking weed in my life. <laughs> I don't think I've ever scored weed at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so we're kind of like an afternoon, you like drive time type thing. Or like the type of podcast you listen to at work. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. Hello everyone and welcome to the Film Effect Podcast. A weekly show that deep dives into a different movie each episode in an effort to give it that full Film Effect treatment. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this is before sunrise. All right, I have an admittedly insane idea, but if I don't ask you this, it's just going to haunt me the rest of my life. I have no idea what your situation is, but I feel like we have some kind of uh, connection, right? Yeah, me too. 
Great. So listen, here's the deal. This is what we should do. You should get off the train with me here in Vienna and come check out the town. We just got into Vienna today and we're looking for something fun to do. Sprechen Sie English? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, we speak German for a change. Now I'm going to call my best friend in Paris, who I'm supposed to have lunch with in eight hours. Okay? Okay. Ring, ring. Pick up the phone. Uh, oh, hello. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it for lunch today. I'm sorry. I met a guy on the train and I got off with him in Vienna. We're still there. Are you crazy? Probably. He has beautiful blue eyes, nice pink lips, frizzy hair. <laughs> I love it. I like to feel his eyes on me when I look away. You couldn't possibly know why a night like this is so important to my life right now. But it is. Since we're never going to see each other again, I don't think we should sleep together. Let's see each other again. No, I don't want you to break our vow. Just so you can get laid. <laughs> Men are lucky we don't bite off their head after mating. Certain insects do that, you know, like spiders and stuff. Mm -hmm. We at least let you live. And before sunrise, a young man and woman meet on a train in Europe and wind up spending one evening together in Vienna. So finally, after what I feel like, I feel like I've been hyping this, sh this movie as an episode ever since Mad Dad. Like I was at one point, me and Madeline were going to sit down and tackle the trilogy. But then that was towards the tail end of the podcast, and we ended up on a hiatus, and that never happened. So then once I started the film effect, I had it on my list ever since last year when I started this big master list of movies I wanted to cover. This was definitely on there, but then I just kept on pushing it back for one reason or another. Uh, and then I got Sean on board, and like I just I knew he hadn't seen the films, or if he had, it's been a while. And just here we are. I'm like, all right. It's been a year. Valentine's Day is coming up. I want to knock out all three of them. I've been wanting to have a good goddamn reason for another rewatch. And here we go. You volunteered. Thank you, Corey. And finally, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the Before Trilogy on the Film Effect Podcast. Uh, but before we tackle the first of three episodes, let's shoot the shit. <laughs> What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? So Jackass Forever. Man, that was fun. Yeah, I went yeah. and saw it this afternoon. Not going to lie, it was a little bit awkward seeing it with my 14-year-old daughter because oh, there's a lot of dick and <laughs> balls in this one. A lot. Like, take all the dick and balls from one, two, and three, and this is probably, like, the equivalent to all three of them combined. It was ridiculous. I mean, the entire opening montage... You know, mild spoiler alert involves Pontius's dick and balls. Literally everything they used intact, and it was just couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh my god! Well, <laughs> this is happening. Okay. <laughs> when we were seeing, when we were seeing the original one, did you ever think you'd be sitting watching a fourth one with your daughter? Like, did you ever think that would be in oh, any god. type of reality? <laughs> Fuck no, Corey. Hell no. Not in, not I, that the, the thought. No, no. To answer that, no. 
crazy times we're living in, dude. It was just. It is. I, you know, I'm excited about it. I, I'm not really going to theaters right now because of everything with COVID. But, you know, I've seen the original, all three of the other ones in theaters. Uh, so I'm definitely looking forward to this one. You know, it's just miss- like a throwback. It's just stupid fun. You know, just a throwback and stupid fun. So that's what I'm looking for. Oh, exactly. And the entire drive to the theater this afternoon, I was just thinking to myself, here we go. I'm getting that feeling like the first time I walked into a Jackass movie, the first time I sat down and watched one of the CKYs. You know, it's just, you know, I, I know I'm getting into a solid hour and a half to two hours of just stupid, dumb, immature, painful entertainment. It's just something that's always just struck a chord with me ever since Jackass started. Ever since I saw CKY2K. That's really the genesis of it all, uh, for me at least. And, you know, like you said, here we are 20 years later, and I'm seeing a film. I was telling Madeline on the way to the theater, I'm like, you know, Knoxville's in his early 50s. He's like 51, 52, I think. Everyone else, I know Steve is 49. I mean, these aren't young blood. I know know they have several new people for this one. The one of them, the most famous one of them, is the guy, the the, the big fellow who calls himself Zackass. He uh, gained uh, notoriety about a decade ago. He was submitted a video where he like taped like an entire thing of uh, firecrackers to his entire body and let them all off in the snow and like. Dude, he like, look it up on YouTube, just Zach-ass firecracker, guarantee the video will pop up, and it's just, uh, pretty stupid, pretty funny, pretty crazy, and, like, he's pretty much been, uh, everywhere, kind of like a roadie, like, not a roadie, a groupie, mainly, trying to, like, get in, and finally, now that they got these new people, he's a part of that crew, it's pretty crazy to see, so, uh, you know, and of course, at the end, go on. No, I just going to say, I've never heard of the guy, but it makes sense that they would have had new people in there. I mean, it kind of sucks, the whole thing with Bam, Margie. Yeah, I was, I was about there, to say, because, yeah, and, and believe me, his uh, presence was missed. I, it, I enjoy this movie. It's it's definitely, don't, don't let me, you know, scare anyone from watching it because, you know, there's no Bam, but, um... There were moments where I was like, Bam's presence is heavily missed, but then, you know, at the end of the day, you got your core audience, your, I mean, your core members still, you know, uh, Danger Aaron, definitely, he's like the MVP of this one for sure, um, and I was gonna say, there's a couple of CKY cameos I don't, I don't want to reveal, and if you stick around uh, through the credits, which is, you know, it's outtakes and different stunts and stuff like that, that people fucking with each other behind the scenes footage like in all the other films. So there's no reason to leave. But right before it ends, uh, they have a, a footage of Dunn, and it says Ryan Dunn forever. And that's how it ends. So it's dedicated to Ryan Dunn, Random Hero, and uh, yeah. So yeah, check it out. Jackass Forever. Definitely worth it. Um, so it's Valentine's season, which means love is in the air. And speaking of love, Bruce Willis has clearly never met a directed video script he hasn't loved. I mean, the number of films he's turned <laughs> out over the last two years is simply stupid. And I'm bringing this up because I noticed before we went on the air that, uh, uh, Red Letter Media, Red Letter Media, 
uh, a, a site that I follow on YouTube. They have a, yeah, the a half and the bad guys. They have a new episode, and it's just everything that he's put out over the last twelve years. It's it's called uh, "Endless Bruce Willis Direct to Video Titles." I think that's what the title <laughs> is. And it's just oh, it's yeah, it's great. It's great. It's the extended episode. It's over an hour long. I was just like, oh my god. And they, I started to watch it. They definitely call him out for a bunch of shit that made me chuckle. A couple things I didn't even know. I, I learned a couple things about the man watching this. Um, but yeah, remember his... Uh, this wasn't brought up. I just randomly thought about this. Remember his video game, Apocalypse, on PlayStation? I don't remember that, no. no yeah, it came out like... Long. It was like 99 or 2000. It was on PlayStation 1. And he had like the bleach hair still, so he clearly filmed it around the time of Fifth Element and the Jackal. So, um, I don't know. I never played the game, but I just know like he was like his face was plastered all over the cover art. I'm sure he filmed the commercial for it. And his likeliness is in the game, and it's just like Apocalypse starring Bruce Willis. I forgot who put it out, but yeah, it just randomly made me think of that as well. And just, I've just. And I know they talk about this. It's a business and it's a new plan that they got like with using, you know, foreign markets to whittle in these like, I hate to call it this, but it is what it is, has been actors and like throwing them all this money for them to do like two or three days worth of work and just make them out to be the star, you know, and it's kind of genius, but in a way it's kind of misleading and I've never taken the bait. I can honestly say I've never sat down and watched a single one of these Bruce Willis films. I have no intentions of watching any of them. In fact, the last two movies yeah. I've seen that he was in were the last two movies he put out theatrically, and that was Death, Wish, and Glass. Neither one I really were a, was a fan of, but still. I mean, Death, Wish was fun. I can, can't say uh, the same for no Glass. <laughs> I would take yeah. Glass out of those two any day. Yeah. But yeah. I, I've seen a couple of his direct-to-video movies, just ironically, just to see what he's doing, because I've heard so many bad things, and right. it's every bit as bad as you think it could possibly be. Really? I mean, in one of the movies, he's with Frank Grillo. I watched it. It's literally him in a room, and they're talking about a fucking lock for, like, half an hour. And it's cut up to be, like... Uh, interesting but it's not it's just them talking about it's like a bank heist and a lock i don't even remember what the goddamn movie's called but that was a i'm waste. glad There's- i'm glad you bring up frank grillo because i feel like half of these fucking movies has him as a co-star either frank grillo or thomas jane i know he's on a couple of john cusack another one of them actors who have fallen off the wheel um and and yeah i i, I don't know i was at um I think it was FYE or something a couple weeks back, and I, I just randomly came across a, a, a Blu-ray movie of his. I've never even heard of it. It was called Once Upon a Time in Venice, and it had him and John Goodman. I'm like, Goodman's doing these movies now? God damn. They but, they all do it. I don't necessarily blame him for taking an easy paycheck. The problem is Bruce Willis takes all the fucking easy paychecks. That, that's like, all I'll he take does. whatever you got. That's yeah. That's... That's the problem. You you balance it out. Like you take your easy paycheck, then you do your passion project, or your uh, big like Ben Hur movie or something like that. 
But Bruce Willis doesn't give a fuck anymore. He just well, it's, wants it's his million like, a day, and that's it. It's not like the man was heavily missed to begin with, because even every... I swear to God that man checked out 20 years ago. Every film he does yeah. has got the same monotone, like, style... Look, I'm. Have you heard? I'm sure you've heard the fucking nightmare stories from Kevin Smith about cop out the, and behind the scenes shit that, that happened with that. <laughs> yeah, he's like telling him what lens to use and shit. Oh, yeah, dude, it's crazy. Just being I a mean, dick. yeah, and I'm sure he's like that on every single set. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's I a mean, reason why he's doing these. It's got to be more than just the money. There has to be something, but you know, the, I tried to think of it, and I definitely did. Like the last time i remember actually thinking he was like an a-list star and somewhat serious it was like around 2010 it was or whenever looper came out i know looper came in around that time because that was like one of his 20 2012 because that was one of his like last good like theatrical movies because yeah i give you that, that he was that, good in that he was good in it like he, he was, was Bruce he Willis, was. but he was good and that was a kick-ass movie and that was the last time. And then, it, like, he's been in a few things. Like, Glass was okay. Like, I didn't, you know, I'm kind of with yeah, you. Yeah, I like, was, I'm not a fan of Glass. I, I walked out of that movie so disappointed. I was too, because Split was, like, awesome. Like, I love Split. Like, that was just such a comeback for uh, Shyamalan. But, yeah, I All agree. Right. But he wasn't, like, Glass, he wasn't the problem in Glass. Like, you know, he was fine. He was good it enough. Was like, at least it seemed like he the was problem, somewhat trying. The problem with Glass was the script, ultimately. Yeah. But we're not going to get into Glass. I don't. I really don't want to. <laughs> um, let's move on to uh, Ghostbusters. Came out this week. Afterlife while on home media. Did have, are you familiar with the uh, the 4K collector set? No, I didn't see uh, any kind of collector set for that. What's uh? Was involved um, with it. Well, I got it. Unfortunately, they I guess it was when they announced it back in December, they didn't really first of all, this was like this made big news about a month ago because um Paul Fee made a huge deal because it doesn't include uh the twenty sixteen version because it's not canon ultimately. It was kind of a one off movie if you think about it. Yeah, um, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Can't right, but what the they did to compensate, when they get well, to compensate, they added the, uh, the 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 digital copy of it. So all four movies are included digitally, except that you know physically it just includes the 4K and Blu-ray copies of one, two, Afterlife. There's a two-disc Blu-ray bonus, like two bonus discs of like new features. There's a diff- there's new cuts of the original two films. Um, there's an entire 250 page like making of Ghostbusters book that I haven't even begun to go through when you pull all of them in. the entire set is in a um, uh, makeshift proton pack not proton pack the ghost trap so uh, when you, you open it up I, and you I take the discs out it's cool it. though you know the littlest things yeah. just make me go giddy when you pull all the, the discs and stuff out uh there's this green light comes on inside the trap it's cool as shit so anyway it was when they announced it they didn't announce it as a limited set well thank god i pre-ordered it on amazon the day it was announced because (laughs) you can't find it nowhere it came out tuesday and unless you pre-ordered it you're not getting it in store stores never got it 
Amazon was sold out right. In, in fact, I believe I heard like two weeks prior to it even coming out, they like stopped pre-orders because they just, I, I guess it was a limited set. Sony's notorious for this. They did the same thing with the 4K um, Resident Evil set last year. They didn't announce that as anything limited and it ended up being same thing as this. If you didn't pre-order it, you're screwed. So anyway, um, I ended up almost not getting it because it took it it tried usually with Amazon I'm used to their system when a movie comes out on Tuesday usually by Sunday I make sure the money's in the account by Sunday for them to take it out well as in this case they for some reason tried to take the money out last week and you know I didn't plan on that so it made me update the the, the, the card and all that like it does so I ended up doing it Tuesday and nothing happened like it just said we'll email you with an update and i'm like fuck dude it's sold out like i'm not gonna get it. they're gonna refund me this blah 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 thank god that I, it's after a day of waiting they finally you know uh, emailed me saying it didn't, it didn't even email an update it just emailed me saying that it's on its way it'll be there by 10 o'clock that night and then ended up showing up uh like three o'clock in the afternoon i was at work so but yeah, dude, it's cool as shit. Um, I mean, they're already going on eBay for like 300 bucks. It's funny. It was 100 bucks, by the yeah. way. I don't have 4K anyway right now, and I already own the first two on Blu-ray. Well, I own the shitty 2016 one on Blu-ray. Yeah, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta remember that, that you don't have a 4K player yet. Which is yeah, mind-boggling, because I, I know you. You're just like me. You're a cinephile. I'm surprised you don't have a 4K player yet. Yeah, here's the, the problem. I, I'm married. <laughs> I'm married. True. That's the problem. This is true. And sometimes I forget that <laughs> as wife, well. So, My wife, uh, you know, I have a f- perfectly fine 65-inch 1080p in the basement in my movie room. And then upstairs, we just have like a standard like 50-inch 1080p. And my wife's the type, if it isn't broke, we're not replacing it. Right, so right, right, right. I'm not getting 4K until Something that happens. Something happens to the TV, right. Yeah, or the PlayStation. Like when the when my PlayStation Four breaks, I'll be able to get a PlayStation Five. But until that day comes, right, <laughs> I'm right. stuck with what I got. Either the TV. I mean, my kid is three, and he'll start swinging toys around, and I'm just like, "Hey, you know, move a little closer to the TV. You know, you'll have fun over there." <laughs> right, right. Ah, <laughs> uh, shit. All right, let's start the conversation. Talk first time viewings. Uh, it's it's just that you see, this is actually uh, my my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically, that's my second time, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not a oddly th- enough, I do remember seeing this for my first time. I actually rented it back in '04 when Before Sunset came out. I rented it and did a double feature because I wanted to see Sunset because um, I was working at the Canton Blockbuster and. I knew that I had to watch the first one, which, you know, I wanted to watch that too. So, of course, I just made it a double feature. And I watched them both on a DVD prior to, uh, you know, before Sunset coming out. Because I took that home pre-street. So, I'm curious, though, when you saw this for the first time, you and I have never sat down and talked about this film before, any of these, for that matter. Yeah, uh, mine's pretty similar. Uh, I was working at Blockbuster um, when uh, before Sunset came out as well. So I did the exact same thing. 
I'll be honest, I had never heard of Before Sunrise, like, when it was new. I mean, at the when it came out, I was, like, what, 9 or 10 or something like that. So I wasn't right. the audience for that anyway. Um, but when the sequel came out in 2004, um, you know, I was working at Blockbuster. I remember the um, Before Sunset came in, and I was, like, looking at it. I was, like, huh, you know, I'd never heard of this. And I saw Link later. Uh, you know, I recognized his name from Dazed and Confused and a, a few other movies. And I'm a big fan of Ethan Hawke. Like, he is one of my favorite actors. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll give this one a shot. But then I started, like, reading it. And I'm like, oh, this is a sequel. So then I ended up doing the exact same thing you did. I went, got uh, picked up the, um, in the core section, picked up the uh, Before Sunrise. And uh, watched them, like, um, basically back-to-back that night. I think I ended up falling asleep <laughs> towards the uh, end of Before Sunset. Uh, but I was... Yeah, I was a huge fan. I, like, I was instantly hooked. Um, I've never seen the third one. I'll be honest, for whatever reason, the third one, um, Before Midnight, it just flew under my radar when it came out. I didn't even hear about it until I think the Criterion uh, was being released. So I've only seen the first two. I still haven't completed the uh, trilogy. So I'll probably have to borrow it from you at some point because I do want to finish it. Well, two things. Number one. I adore you so much for using the term core, like blockbuster. I haven't heard that. <laughs> I have not heard that terminology in probably 15 years, brother. The core. Oh, God. And number two, wow. Uh, yeah, be, uh, Before Midnight is um really good. It's uh probably my least favorite of the three. But I still, I mean, for one, and I've said this before on a past episode of the show before, it features, like, the greatest, like, argument, couple's argument, like, on film like, ever. Um, it's it's really good stuff. It's a little bit different. Uh, it follows a different, a little bit of a different uh, formula than the first two, obviously. But, um, yeah, it's, I was, I was, you know, I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. And, um, yeah, because when this, when, uh, before Sunset came out, I remember Hawk was kind of in the middle of a resurgence because 2001, he did Training Day and then kind of was quiet for a few years. And then he came back in 2004 with this and Taking Lives. And I remember then both came out on DVD like, like a couple weeks apart, if not like the same week, maybe it could have been. It was like in the fall of 2004 when they both came out. And, um, yeah, that, that continued on because after that, like in early 2005, he had that Assault on Precinct 13 remake. And then later on in the year, he had Lord of War with Nick Cage and um, Jared Leto. Um, but yeah, um, kind of surprised you haven't seen Midnight. And yes, I'll definitely uh, lay that on you so you can check it out. Yeah, uh, maybe, it just, maybe, it just maybe bring you back radar. in April. I just, yeah, I just... I, I don't know. I just did. It was one of those. I just didn't hear about when it came out, uh, you know, because I, hmm. I read movie blogs and stuff, but I'm not the type like I don't get notifications like I don't read stuff every single day. So it's possible for stuff to slip by me. I, I don't didn't know, know what, what year. It, it came out um, in 2013. Well, no, it, the movie came out, but I'm saying I don't know what year Criterion, the Criterion release came out. But I remember when that oh. was released, I saw that. And I'm like, wait a minute, it was a fucking trilogy? Like, I thought it was two of them. Like, I didn't even realize until I saw that. And I was like, well, shit, now I got to see that at some point. 
Yeah, because I really wasn't familiar with the whole nine-year thing. Well, really no one was because, you know, it just, the different the time between sunrise and sunset, it, you know, that nine years is irrelevant. But then when he went and did Midnight, another nine years later, people caught on. And I caught wind of it, I think I read a review from Bumbray uh, on um, a Sundance review. Because I didn't even know it was in production. Like, I just saw that uh, Chris dropped the review on Before Midnight. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess we're doing this. And then, you know, I saw it a few months after the fact. Um, And, yeah, let's do story time. Because that's, that's a pretty good tie-in to uh, <clears throat> um, this. Tell me a story. Wait. Like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. So the whole nine years thing, uh, kind of another reason why I held off on covering this uh, series until now is because it's 2022 and nine years ago was midnight so we are at that nine year mark so for all we know this trilogy could become a quadrilogy (laughs) seriously i mean it really could if rick later wanted to he could have this done in the bag in time for like a december release or something like that you know if really wanted to if if him hawk and Delpy had something juicy, you know, as far as like a story, you know, where to take the story now between Jess and Celine, then go for it by all means, you know. I'm sure Criterion will get the rights and you'll drop the quadrilogy at some point, <laughs> inevitably. But yeah. Um, making them. It, it'll be like before nursing home. Like <laughs> it's just going to, if it just keeps rolling like before that every nine death years. Just gets morbid on you all of a sudden <laughs> out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, that's why I wanted to cover it this year is because, so for those of you who are not in the know, Before Sunrise, which we're covering today, came out in 95. Nine years later, 2004, Before Sunset, the sequel. Nine years after that, 2013, Before Midnight. And here we are nine years after that with 2022 and we don't know if there's going to be a film or not. Maybe they want to keep this as a trilogy. You know, maybe they don't want to just, maybe they just want to keep it as is. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like you were mentioning earlier. Um, and yeah, who knows? But it's nine years later and we're going to celebrate by covering all three films between this month, next month and April. So like I said, if um, you get to midnight in time, prior to April, I would love for you to come back on so you can just share your thoughts on it. So, But we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But for now, let's talk about Sunset. But first, let's do Live Top 5. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top 5 side ones. Track ones. Janie Jones, Clash. From The Clash. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. 
Nirvana smells like teen spirit off of Nevermind. Oh, no, Rob, that's not obvious enough. Not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a... Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not and on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection. The song is Radiation oh. Ruling the Nation. All right, so top five as preferred by you, or as um, mentioned by you. <laughs> suggested. Thank you. As suggested by you, uh, Richard Linklater Films, top five. So, my number five is Everybody Wants Some. Where are you? I don't Everybody Wants Some. That's a good one. Some. I like that. Yeah, you like yeah, that? Yeah, I liked it. it I, I saw it. Uh, it was good. Like, I, I, yeah, I don't have strong feelings either way. I remember liking it. Um, yeah. I think it was well done. Um, all of the characters in it were good. I like the whole baseball team angle. And it was good. Like, I wouldn't say, you know, it really stood out a lot right. to me. It didn't blow me away. I enjoyed it. It didn't blow me away. And I personally don't understand how people think of it as a spiritual sequel to Days and Confused. Because I think this and Days and Confused are two totally different movies that I would oh, yeah. never consider a spiritual sequel. Um, no. So, mine, oh, what's your number five? Uh, first, I had an honorable mention. Um, oh, okay. Go I on. didn't even I, I didn't even notice this until I was researching for this, but he directed the Bad News Bears remake. Uh, yes, he did. With Billy Bob Thornton. Yes, he did. And I was a fan of that movie. I acknowledge it wasn't anything original. It wasn't anything great. Billy Bob was perfect casting right there, and he yeah. was great in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I it agree. had some laughs. It, it had some laughs. It was. Um, pretty funny uh so i had a good time with that so that was my honorable mention um my number five is one of his like bigger studio type movies as well uh newton boys i'm a huge fan of that movie uh i love the cast with ethan hoff matthew mcconaughey skeet ulrich um who am i forgetting here who's the fourth newton boy is it d'onofrio in that D'Onofrio, yep, Vincent D'Onofrio. I love them. Dwight Yoakam, who is like one of the most underrated character actors, is in that, and he's great. Um, I'm just a big fan. I, I've really come around on Westerns recently, and I think I rewatched that like five years ago, and uh, yeah, I was just a big fan of it. I've never seen it, so I can't comment on it. <laughs> um, my number four is Bad News Bears. I think that movie's <laughs> funny as shit. I actually think it's uh, better than the first or the original. Uh, oh, that's so, yeah. a hot take. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Actually, no. I've actually met uh, one other person uh, who no one is really going to know who it is. Uh, an old friend of mine who preferred this one to uh, Math House. So, how about you? What's your number four? Uh, my number four is a Scanner Darkly. Uh, just very unique with the rotoscoping animation. Um, it has like a again a really great cast with Keanu in the lead. Um, in- interesting story based off of a book. It has Rory Cochran in it, uh, which I'm a big fan of him. I was glad to see him in it. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. was in the midst of his resurgence. Uh, so it was just a great cast. Just a unique looking film and a really just kind of unique story as well. Yeah, and I I gotta say I've never seen it. I've never seen that. I've never seen Wake in Life. And in in all reality, there's a good handful of Linkletter's movies that I've yet to see. Um, 
I do, speaking of waking life, I just want to mention it now. Uh, I Yes, I'm aware that Jesse and Celine from this film make an appearance in that movie, but I am totally unfamiliar with it. I've never seen the movie, uh, nor have I seen the scene, funny enough. I just know that they're in the film for one scene together, um, which... Yeah, they're like in a bed. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've like seen it. Yeah, I've seen an image from it, but I've never actually watched the scene itself. So, um, all right. So, is it my turn, number three? Mm-hmm. All right, my number three is the Before Trilogy. I just figured I would lump them all together in the one and slap that on there. Um, uh, really close uh, between this and my number two. But uh, ultimately, I had to put number two in its place, and we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> What's your number three? Uh, my number three is another one of his studio films, but just so fun, uh, School of Rock. Um, it's one of my favorite Jack Black performances. I know Linklater didn't write the movie. I know it was written by, uh, I don't know, I don't remember who it was written by, but somebody else. Um, but I don't know, it's just like a harmless, fun movie. Like I've seen it several times. Jack Black was just so likable. The kids were likable. And when I think about Linklater, like I know that's not like one of his tentpole movies or one of his, uh, you know, indie movies he did in the nineties or anything like that. But uh, it's just something I associate with him. And I've always just, it's like a harmless good time movie to put on. Yeah. And I've watched that movie a couple of times and I just never got into it. That's one movie. I just, I always felt it was overscripted and Jack Black was just over the top. Too cartoonish, so to speak. Um, granted, have not watched it in about 15, 16 years, so there's that. But, uh, yeah, just I remember not liking it the, the two times I watched it. But, uh, I'm, you know, maybe one of these days I'll... Uh, get a chance to rewatch it and uh, see if my opinion holds up or changes. We shall see. My number two is, and remember, very close between this and uh, the before trilogy, Dazed and Confused. Uh, shocker, not number one. Yeah, Dazed and Confused, <laughs> um, really close between this and the before trilogy, but ultimately I had to put Dazed and Confused ahead because at the end of the day, I fucking love Days to Confuse. Like, I don't know. I've seen that movie the most. Um, it's just a, a, a feel-good movie that's quotable. That, it, I don't know. It's Days to Confuse. Come on now. Uh, so, yeah. What's your number two? Uh, well, great minds think alike. My number two is Dazed and Confused as well. Uh, you know, this is a movie I've come around on. You know, I remember watching it together for the first time on uh, home video. Yeah, you and, and Matt. I did you not and like Matt's it. Fucking making fun of me and shit for liking the movie so much. You guys were just like not having. I'm trying to watch the movie up in your bedroom, and you and Matt are just like you wanted to do anything but watch Days to Confuse that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I just don't think at that point, I just didn't understand what Linklater was going for. As I got a little bit older, I kind of understood what he was trying to do. Just, you know, capture a generation, just show a single day in these kids' lives and just, right. you know, having fun and 
growing up and moving on, you know, I got, I got a lot more after I had rewatched it a couple of times, you know, while still, you know, I know for some people, cause I know you guys covered it previously. I know for some, this is like one of their all time favorites. It's not like that for me. I enjoy it. It's not something I watch a ton of. It's not something that would make like one of my top lists, but I think as far as his writing and just capturing like that generation I think like later has always had a knack for that in his films. And this is one of the best examples. And it's just a fun movie just to watch and get a glimpse of kids at that time. You know, it just feels so genuine. Yeah. All right. So that leads us to number one, which for me, it's boyhood. Um, <laughs> I knew you I were going to have that one on there. Oh, I mean, there's so much about boyhood that, I I just first of all the fact that he spent 12 13 years crafting this film is just it's incredible and it's 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 a near it's a damn near impossible feat to accomplish really when you think about it um I, I think he does a really great job of incorporating uh just mainstream music uh, according to the years throughout the movie, there's no actual score. He just takes like different songs that were popular at the the year that you know the movie takes place in, because it's it's a span between. I think it's, it starts in two thousand one and ends uh, in twenty twelve or twenty third. No, twenty thirteen. It's twelve year film. Um, and the, the three the three hour runtime doesn't feel like it at all. It, it just the movie I never once get bored with it um in in fact there's a lot of times and I've seen this movie quite a bit when it ends and I just feel like starting it all over again or rewatching it like there's not many movies that have make me that make me feel like that but you know boyhood's one of them and I know yeah that my opinion on this movie is like the complete opposite of the majority of 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 others but i i don't care it's my opinion it's my take on the movie i i think <laughs> richard linklater crafted a fucking masterpiece in it and you know it, it's great arquette you know um I, I, his name's not coming to me right now but uh the, the the boy there are moments where his you know acting's a little eh, but i mean Elder Coltrane. Yeah, thank you. Elder Coltrane. But he's a kid, and it's literally his first movie. So, I mean, I I give him a pass for that. But everyone else, you know, it's just great. It is so great. I love Boyhood, number one, forever. Yeah, I... No, I I respect that. Uh, You know, the movie didn't make the list for me. That's not my number one. Um, I watched it and the movie had me for the, about the first two thirds for the first two thirds. I thought it was pretty good. And I, I was enjoying it when he's a little bit older is what really just sunk it. Like that whole, like probably third act, you know, you said how the movie doesn't feel long. That third act felt like three hours on its own. I, I, it was just, it needed something else. Cause here's the thing, when you're going to have a slice of life movie like this, where not much happens, where there's not a ton of conflict or plot-wise anything interesting, the acting needs to be really strong. And I'm not blaming the kid. He's probably a way better actor than I could ever be. But 
he just wasn't there to carry the movie like some of other Linklater's films have those actors that can carry the movie when it's just conversations and just normal life happening. Like Boyhood, I can respect what he was going for and it had me towards the beginning. I just felt like the most interesting parts was like the uh, the parents, Patricia Arquette and Ethan Hawke. I wanted to see more of them. I didn't care about the kid as much. And when he got a little bit older, the movie just, it lost it for me. I, you know, I think if it would have had a stronger third act for me, it would be way higher up because the first two thirds of it, I was with you. I was like, oh, this is really great. The concept is so strong. It's such a unique thing to film over that amount of time, but it just fell apart at the end for me. So I wish but, I could like it more, but I really don't. I never feel like, oh, and, and for the record, you're coming on for the Boyhood episode, but I never felt once like they were trying. Anyone, I like, like, you know, Alder Coltrane. <laughs> I'm just going to say his name, his full name for whatever reason. But I just never once felt like he was trying. He was just, you know, and I, and I see it. I do see it, you know, that towards the end of the movie, you know, there's moments where he's just quiet and acting all kind of awkward and stuff. And to me, that's not acting. He's just being himself. And Linklater just happens to have a camera for those two weeks of him being him. And and yes, I can see how it's boring uh, to some and how it can be and how can it, it can, you know... The perception can be that way, but to me, I guess I look at it differently than other people. Um, to me, I'm looking through the eyes, you know, of someone who's in an awkward moment of their life. So it's fitting that the acting and and it's not really acting to me. It's just that it's natural. That's how he's gonna. That's how we are at that moment of our lives. Um. You know, there's a scene towards the end where he goes on this date with this girl who, every time I think of the movie, I always swear it's Brie Lawson. Brie Lawson, but it's not. Uh, but I just, they they go to this, like, thing, and then they go to this restaurant in, like, the middle of the night and have queso and talk about life together. And I think it's one of the best film scenes of the movie. And if you're not looking at the movie the way I am then yeah, it's probably the worst scene of the movie, the most boring scene of the movie, and to, to most, they're probably like, why is this scene even in this movie? Whereas me, I'm looking at it through a different lens, I guess, and um, I don't know, yeah. That was that's my response I, to that, you know? And I get it, you know, I, I, I totally get what he's going for in it. I, just to me, it just needed some, a little something else in the third act, you know, it doesn't need to be anything like soap opera or crazy I don't even blame the kid, really. I just think, honestly, just the writing towards the end. I, I don't know. I just think you just think that the, that, that, the that like later and everybody up. was having fatigue towards the later years and was just like, we just want to get this fucking thing in the can, guys. Come on, <laughs> just film it. You're like, uh, what do I do in this scene? Uh, you're by you're taking case, a so shit. Get a camera. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, unless you had anything else, I could. I we can get to my number one then. <laughs> no, I'm ready. For, I'm ready for it. All right. So my number one, um, I I lumped them in like you did. Uh, I'll say the before trilogy, even though I haven't finished the trilogy yet. But for, so for me, uh, before sunrise and before, um, sunset, uh, I just I'll think they're it. great. Yeah, yeah. That, that's my number one. Uh, you know, it's close between dazed and confused. You know, obviously we watched dazed and confused when we were younger. 
I had that memory of me and Metzger just laughing at it and then coming around. Yeah, you know, so I don't do have I. As, I don't have as much nostalgia for the before, but I just think that's Linklater is best. Just the slice of life, the sharp writing, the excellent acting between the two leads. Uh, I just think, you know, that's that's him at his top game is the before uh, films. And, you know, if anybody said, hey, this Linklater guy, like, you know, what would you distill like his directing style? Like what movie do you think best represents that? To me, it's the before films. I think that's exactly what he's going for. I'll, I'll get also. I didn't mention it before, but I did see that film Slacker a long time ago. I remember thinking it was pretty good, but I got to rewatch that. I didn't want to put that on the list because I haven't seen it in so long. Uh, right. But that was another one of his films. I just wanted to bring up because I remember liking that too. I would say that was another one because he was actually in the lead in that one. Is that him? I've never seen Slacker. Yeah. I'm familiar with it, but I've never watched it. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. I, I probably saw it back when I was working at the video store. I remember I was like on a link later tear at that point. <laughs> like I come around on Days and Confused. I'd seen these and loved mm-hmm. them. So I was like going back and seeing some of his older films. And I remember watching that one too and liking it, but not, you know, not as strongly as some of his other stuff, obviously. All right, then let's get to the film effect. Here we go. So the movie opens on a train going from Budapest to Vienna with various shots of the European countryside. Standard, you know, yeah, just plain opening, nothing special. Then we open up with this uh, fighting couple arguing in German. So, Lake Lanner is showing us shots of various passengers, including throughout this argument. We see uh, Julia Delpy's uh, Selena, she's trying to read, Ethan Hawke's Jesse, who's also trying to read. And an uncredited cameo from a goateed Adam Goldberg who's trying to who is taking a nap during all of this. Did you spot <laughs> did you spot Adam Goldberg? I did, and I just started thinking about I was like, oh man, he must not like Germany anymore after saving Private Ryan. Oh Christ, that's right. <laughs> See, the thing I noticed about this is that Linklater intentionally keeps the subtitles out of the conversation, but it's basically an example of an aging couple who fight all the time. She, I, I read the subtitles. I mean, I read uh, what they're saying on a website. She's pointing out jealousies of his while he's getting into it about her cat food of all things. And the man ends up taking a loud slap that causes Celine to move seats across from Hawks, Jesse and, uh, the two immediately start exchanging glances before the aging couple or the arguing couple head to the back of the train into another car. Um, do you have any idea, like, what she says is like, do you have any idea what they're arguing about? And, you know, that was the conversation starter. She says that her, her, her German isn't good, but supposedly men, supposedly men lose their ability to hear higher pitched sounds and women eventually lose lower on the low end. 
I guess they sort of nullify each other or something is what's said. Um, must be nature's way of allowing couples to grow old together and not kill each other, I guess. So, um, you know, very nervous. They, they both catch it. Yeah. They both catch each other's attention. Like right off the bat, you see it. Um, we see the two show each other what they're reading. She's reading a book. I'm going to fucking butcher it. It's a book from George's Batile, Batali. I think that's how it's pronounced. And he's <laughs> reading. <laughs> Sometimes it's smarter. He's reading an autobiography. All I need is love by Claus, by Claus Kinski. And interesting enough, neither have any interest in the other's reading material. In fact, he asks to grab a drink with him in the bar cart, and she agrees after the fighting couple return. So, they go back to this restaurant, and they sit down and start getting to know one another, and you know, she tells him that she went to school in L.A. for a summer, and that's why she's so good at speaking English. And he refers to himself as another bumbling American tourist, but Selena overlooks all that and is seen to actually enjoy her time with Jesse. So, Ethan Hawke, can't keep his damn hand still. I remember, I, I even telling his story, it's one thing I noticed watching this scene, is even telling his story about not knowing the language and, and learning certain words, he's moving his hands and fingers, like fidgeting, and like at one point, even playing with the butter dish, an empty butter dish that's in front of him. He's like, yeah, I twirling his fingers inside of it, like, there's nothing in there, dude. There's not. There's like, He's fidgeting, and that's a a telltale sign. Yeah, I definitely noticed that as well. Uh, And I think it fits the scene extremely well, because I know anytime I would meet a girl or go on a first date, I would be extremely nervous too. And I get the same way when I'm really nervous. I get fidgety. I start playing with things. When I met my wife, I remember I was spitting my phone on the table like a child at one point, just because I was so nervous. And, uh, you know, I really wanted to make a good impression. I really wanted to get to know her. So I totally relate to everything uh, Ethan Hawke is doing right here. And I think the whole train scene just captures meeting somebody uh, and just interacting for one of the first times and just that nervousness and excitement. I think it captures it extremely well. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's natural, dude. Like, we all get natural nervousness when it comes to, you know, first time dates and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's not just, don't be, don't, it's, don't feel singled out. You know what I'm saying? And we see it here too with Jesse. Um, and like you're saying about the whole entire first encounter between these two, it's, it's, it's totally realistic. Um, they both do a stand up job of just displaying that emotion, just, uh, the body language uh, that we see between the two. I mean, that's just stuff that happens. And, you know, the, these two are no different. You know, this is not... We're not... Linklater's not trying to, like... Hollywoodize this, if that makes sense. Um, this is a total normal, real thing. They're getting to know each other. They have so many conversations throughout this movie, and that is so important, too, because, like, the whole movie's about 
chemistry and and taking chances and getting to know somebody and just going for the yeah. throat. Um, so Jesse Pit Jesse like example right here. Jesse pitches his cable access show idea, which is essentially reality. <laughs> like this is the era of the real world reality bites, which funny enough just starred Ethan Hawke and. It's just funny watching this scene now in 2022, and it's like, man, are you really pitching a reality show? That's essentially what this whole idea is that he's pitching towards, and he's trying to make yeah. it like it's just some bright, genius idea. I mean, even in 95, this has been done. Like, the real world had been on the air for, like, three or four years at this point. So, I don't know. I mean, again, I, I, I guess it's just an idea like an idea it's not just so much an idea like he's explaining to her this idea it's just an idea for something to just say to just make conversation um the two of them then talk about their parents and upbringings jesse randomly brings up death he says i remember when my mother first told me about death my great-grandmother just had died and my whole family had visited them in florida i was about three three and a half years old Anyway, I was in the backyard playing and, playing and my sister had just taught me how to take the garden hose and do it like in a, such a way it sprayed the sun. It would make a rainbow. Excuse me, and make a rainbow. So I was doing that and through the mist, I could see my grandmother. She was just in there smiling at me and I held it that for a long time and I looked at her. Finally, I let, out, I let go of the nozzle, you know. Then I dropped the hose and she disappeared. So I ran back inside and, t- and t- told my parents and they sat me down and gave me this big crap of how when people die, you never see them again and how I'd imagined it. But I knew what I'd seen. I was just glad that I saw that. I mean, I'd never seen anything like that since, but I don't know. I was just kind of it just kind of let me know how ambiguous everything was, even death. Um, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I wanted to throw a theory out there. I was just thinking about this as I was watching the film again. Do you think that story was like slightly embellished or fabricated just to kind of entice Celine? Because, you know, Jesse's kind of like a skeptic in a lot of the movie. And I don't know, like just like as you go through the movie and you hear more of, uh, of him talk later, I, would he really believe that, that he saw his grandma just hearing him talk about like his soul conversation later. Mm. Um, and just the way he's a skeptic, like the fortune teller, like it doesn't seem like he necessarily believes in any of that. So I just wonder if that's like a, something to kind of help him pick up uh, Selena a little bit. I'm not I... saying it is or isn't because obviously it's up open to interpretation, but it was just a theory. Like once you get to know the characters a little bit more, I wonder if it's like an embellishment kind of, or something like that. I think elements of it happened, but not to the extreme like you're saying to like, you know, there was a whole thing with him in a hose and you can see his grandmother. I think what it is, he's, he's taken bits and pieces of an actual story and he's amplifying it like not trying to say he's a liar or call him out on anything in particular. I think that that's just another example of what we as human beings do. Um, in especially in these scenarios, like it, not everyone has you know these grand stories to tell. So sometimes you take a story 
and you work with that and you build up on it and it's what we call a white lie and it's just something that you know and, and and a lot and so many people are guilty of it i'm guilty of it you're probably guilty of it you you the listener yeah you i'm talking to you right now listen to this you know damn well you're guilty of it too so it's it's just another example of um link later just demonstrating just realism in these type of situations so it's just another reason and yeah another reason why i applaud the man so so now they get to vienna but jesse doesn't want to end the conversation jesse asks celine to disembark with him saying that 10 to 20 years down the road she might not be happy with her significant other and might wonder how her life would have been different if she had just pet if she had picked someone else alternatively she may have just realized jesse himself is not that different from the rest lacking the money to rent a room for the night they decide to roam around in vienna until jesse's flight the next morning all right i have an admittedly insane idea but if i don't ask you this it's just uh you know it's gonna haunt me the rest of my life what um i want to keep talking to you you know i have no idea what your situation is but uh but i feel like we have some kind of uh connection right yeah me too yeah right well great so listen here's the deal this is what we should do you should get off the train with me here in vienna and come check out the town what come on it'll be fun (laughs) what would we do um, I don't know. All I know is I have to catch an Austrian Airlines flight tomorrow morning at 9.30, and I don't really have enough money for a hotel, so I was just going to walk around, and it'd be a lot more fun if you came with me. And if I turn out to be some kind of psycho, you know, you just get on the next train. <laughs> all right, all right. Think of it like this. Um, uh, jump ahead. 10, 20 years, okay? And you're married. And only your marriage doesn't have that same energy that it used to have. You know, you start to blame your husband. You start to think about all those guys you've met in your life and what might have happened if you picked up with one of them, right? Well, I'm one of those guys. That's me. You know, so think of this as time travel from then to now uh, to find out what you're missing out on. See, what this really could be is a gigantic favor to both you and your future husband to find out that you're not missing out on anything. I'm just as big a loser as he is, totally unmotivated, totally boring, and uh, you made the right choice and you're really happy. Let me get my bag. So at the train station now, Celine asks Jesse's name. It's at this point we realize that they've been making this connection and don't even know each other's names, you know? What's your name? My name? Uh, it's Jesse. It's James, actually, but everybody always calls me Jesse. You mean Jesse James? No, no, no just Jesse. <laughs> I'm Celine. So my question to you is, would Celine go with Jesse if it was 2022? Uh, possibly, but I think it would be a less of a likelihood. I mean, I think there's a few things at play, like why she would go there. Uh, one, she's traveling. You know, you're not at home. So I think in general, just anybody is more likely to be more adventurous when you're on vacation. Like I know personally for me, when I go on vacation, I want to be adventurous. That's my time to explore new things and just experience life pretty much like while I'm not working or in the doldrums of uh, normal daily life. 
So that's part of it. She's traveling. She's not at home. And also, I think Ethan Hawke is kind of charming right there with his little story. Like, you're going to look back in 20 years, think about me. And now we can figure out whether it's going to be good or bad, pretty much. So I think it's a good pitch for Vivid. I think it's kind of funny. I think uh, in most cases, if you can make a woman laugh or be slightly intrigued, I think you're in pretty good shape. So I find it believable that you would get off the train. I, but as you stated, I do think nowadays there's such a different thing. But you got to think this is in the mid 90s. You know, it's, it, yeah. it's a different time compared to now. Yeah. I mean, people wanted a, a lot more people had or wanted to at least live that like spontaneous lifestyle, I guess you could say. Um, so anyway, uh, outside in Vienna, the green footbridge that we see them walk on in the first scene out of the station is called, oh Christ, Zalomsteg or alternatively <laughs> Zalombrook. I'm probably butchering that name too. Um, and then I know this isn't the bridge that I'm thinking of because that bridge, I believe, is in Amsterdam. But the, no, it's in, it might be in Paris. It is in Paris. There's a bridge over a canal that is famous for all the locks. A lot of a lot of couples go there. And, and in fact, I just it is definitely 100% Paris where this this bridge is. And if you heard, of, I'm sure you've heard of this bridge. People go there on like their honeymoons, and like they take a lock, and like they they put their names on it or their initials at least, and like they lock it on the bridge with the other ones, and like you know, it's Paris, yeah, yeah, city of love. It. Yeah, and for whatever reason, I'm thinking that they're in Paris, which they're not, and that that this is that bridge, which again, it's not. This is where they stop and they ask a couple of guys on the bridge, disguised as newlyweds, on their honeymoon, no less. If there are any museums around, uh, but the the guy said that they're they're all closing instead. That they they uh, asked them to come to their play at nine thirty that night. It's a play about a cow and an Indian searching for <laughs> it, and it's called "Bring Me the Horns of Wilmington's Cow." What's this, this guys? Okay. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me. Sprechen uh, English? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Could we speak German for a change? What? No, it was a joke. Well, listen, we just got into Vienna today, and we're looking for something fun to do. Like museums, exhibition right. things. But museums are not that funny anymore these days. Um, uh, and they are closing right now. How long are you going to be here? Uh, just for tonight. Why did you come to Vienna? What, what, uh, what could you be expecting? Um, we're on honeymoon. Yeah. Uh, she got pregnant. We had to get married. No, I don't believe you. You're a bad liar. Vielleicht gibt's einen Flyer. Ja, sicher. This is a this is a play we both in, and we would like to invite you. The actors? Um, no, not professional actors. Uh, Part-time actors for fun. It's a play about a cow and the Indians searching for it. There are also in politicians, uh, Mexicans, yes. Russians, communists. Uh, so you have a real cow on stage? No, not a real cow. It's an actor in a cow costume. And he is the cow? Yes, I am the cow and the, uh, the cow is a bit weird. The cow has a disease. She's acting a bit strange, like a dog. If someone throws a stick, she fetches it and brings it back and she can smoke with uh, hooves and everything. <laughs> Great. 
And as you see, there's the address. It's in the second district. Near the Prato. You know the Prato? Oh, the big field. With the wheel, yes. Yes, the wheel. Everybody knows the wheel. Perhaps you can go to the Prato before the play. <laughs> it starts at 21.30. 21.30? It's yeah. 9.30. Oh, 9.30. Oh, right. right. Okay, great. Well, what's the name of this play? Um, it translates as uh, Bring, Bring Me the, the Horns of, of Wilmington's Cow. cow. Yeah. I'm Wilmington's Cow. Okay. All right. Great. Will you be there? You be there? You. Yeah, we'll try. I'm the cow. I want to see that play. I'll be honest. I, I want to see the yeah, guy playing the I'm cow. Yeah, I'm going to... I fucking... Hold that thought. But yeah... Um, I love these guys, uh, and they're talking about the cow, and like they think it's a Jesse thinks it's a real cow, and they're like, no, it's a, it's a costume, it's a, it's two guys, and it's a costume cow, um, yeah, and it, it's yeah, we come back to these guys later on. We're not these guys, but we come back to this scenario, I should say, later on. But I don't know for reasons that I don't even know. Like there, there's so many like little side characters that we see throughout this movie but these two guys in the cow play like have always stood out to me for whatever reason um so now it's Q&A time on the streetcar so Jesse starts by asking her to describe her first sexual feelings towards a person and she responds with Jean-Marc Fleury a swimmer from summer camp she describes him in a pretty big detail compares him to a gorgeous dolphin and then she asked if he's ever been in love. And he says it's not a fair question, but doesn't want to answer it. Says that those are two different, very, says there are two very different questions. I mean, I could, she, he could have answered the sexual feelings thing, no problem. But, you know, love. Well, what if I asked you about love, he says. She says that she would have at least lied. So they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Getting to know one another while passing the time. And I personally look at this as an important part of the story because this is where our two leads are getting to the meat of things. Like, we're witnessing how these two characters think based on their actions and the answers that they give. Like, any relationship, these are important factors. I, I enjoy watching these two get to know one another and that they don't bullshit or fuck around with the time that they're given. And I respect that. Yeah, it's it's de- their characters are definitely getting flushed out a lot more in this scene. You know, in the first scene, they're meeting, you learn a little bit, but in this scene, you're really learning a lot more about each of them uh, just by the way they're answering. And it's just because of the sharp, just great natural dialogue. Right. Exactly. This just want to hit that one home. Natural dialogue. Um, so now we're in the record store and me watching this is getting fucking flashbacks. So, Celine finds a Kath Bloom record, and they go into a listening booth, and they listen to her song, Come Here. And the visual interaction between these two is so fucking adorable. Like, how they look away each time the other one looks at them. Like, she's watching him to see how he's look. She's watching him to um, see how he's feeling about the moment. And then in my yeah. notes here, I just have, ah, record store memories. <laughs> Yeah, it's very cute, uh, them two in the recording booth, just, you know, looking back at each, like you said, looking back at each other. They don't want the other person to see, just seeing each other experience the music. Yeah, it's just a very cute uh, sight, just watching them, because we all, you know, anybody who's dated, you've been there, you start looking at your date, and 
appreciating her, but you don't want to get caught staring, you know, so you got to look away. So I think everybody can relate to that. Yeah. Um, me and this girl, Jen, that I was seeing a few years ago that I was really, really into, um, there were moments like that with her and I, like I would always look at her all the time and still to this day, like she's just the most fucking gorgeous person I've ever been with. I swear. But she, there would be moments where I'll be sitting there on the couch and I've got pretty good goddamn peripheral vision. So I would always catch her from my side eye just staring at me while we, we'll be watching like a movie or Impractical Jokers because we'd always sit down and watch that on, on demand when there was nothing else on. So, and like there would just be these moments when I would just catch her from my side eye just staring at me and not the television and shit. And like, I just, I don't know miss moments like that so i can totally relate um but no the record store so we had record and tape traders growing up but we didn't quite have these listening booths that i am familiar with only because of this movie and empire records other than that yeah i mean we could go to record and tape and we could request to listen to a record if we were a club card member they would let us, you know, open the CD and put it in the little, they had like five little setups we could listen to and shit. Um, but yeah, other than that, like. It's a, rec- it's a bygone tape. era. Oh, it's God, a bygone yeah. era. It, it was an old school thing with the, the listening booths. I mean, those were kind of passe when we were young. And then, of course, it didn't help that record and tape traders, most of those locations were like a hole in the wall. They just didn't really even have room for no, uh, no, any didn't. type of realistic booth they had stuff crammed from the floor to the ceiling pretty much oh yeah yep so much shit dude like they never sold anything in there because like i mean the prices were jacked up but that's another reason i mean that, that's not the reason why they went under i mean it's just different times you know i mean they stayed along for as long as they could i mean they that that towson location just closed up like three or four years ago if that so wasn't that long ago, but still, um, I miss record stores. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really, I, miss, I don't miss collecting music in general. Um, no. I thought owning CDs was kind of a pain in the ass cause they were so thin and flimsy, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Different era. Things it's to look just, back on. Yeah, it's, it is. It's a different era. I mean, I look fondly upon it, but it's just so easy to stream nowadays. Oh yeah, but I still Absolutely. miss the retail. I, I still miss the retail experience. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't necessarily miss record stores as much. But one thing I was thinking about, I miss Suncoast Video. I miss Suncoast Video. I used to love going in there at White Marsh Mall. Oh yeah, I, I, I remember it. Suncoast Video, and then if you went to East Point, it was Saturday matinee. Was there a video store? Um, I, I miss that experience too. You know, fortunately. Hartford Mall still has FYE, and that's like the next best thing you can get. And sometimes you can find yourself some good deals for some like used movies or whatever. Like I've I've come across some pretty good deals at uh, FYE from time to time, and I I I work around the corner from the location, so it's not that far of a drive. So sometimes once every couple of weeks I go in there and peek my head in, see what they got, any good deals, and uh, you know you never know. Um, but yeah, for me, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, as far as, um, one last note for music, 
I, I, one thing I do not miss about, you know, buying records and CDs and stuff, uh, you know, before digital is, you know, usually when a record comes out, you know, the band puts out, you got a single, sometimes you had two singles before the album comes out and you buy the record for like that song but then the rest of the record sucks. And you you just realized you just spent $13 on a CD for one song, sometimes two, you know, it just wasn't worth it. It was always a gamble when you bought a record, you know, cause you just didn't know if you were going to listen, if the whole thing was going to hold up. So I don't know. Now it's different. Now you can just hit that. I mean, it sucks for the, the, the artists. Yeah, I, I feel terrible for them, but you know, as a realist, this is the age. So these bands now that are up and coming, they know what they're getting into. So they can't really feel as sorry for them. So anyway, back to the film. The the two at this point, they go to the Cemetery of the Unknown. And she tells them that most of the the people... She tells Jesse that most of the people buried there are washed up. They washed up on the bank of the uh, Danube. They go to a, a little girl, Elizabeth's grave, and she explains that she was only 13 when she died. It says that that meant something to her. That she was around that age when she first saw this, and now 10 years older, she's still 13. You know, just kind of messes with her. Um... Yeah, and, and and not to get all morbid and stuff, but I can I, I know what she's talking about. I've I've had those moments, especially now that I'm like 37. It's like I look back at cer- certain moments of my life, and I remember it clear as day. And then I'm like, realization hits, and I'm like, dude, I was 17, 18 years old when that happened. I'm literally twice my age at this point. You know, it's crazy when I think about stuff like that. And life and death in general. I mean, just being real now, I'm speaking my mind, you know, the older I get, the more I start, you know, having that, and not conversation, but I start thinking about that more and more. Not out of fear, just, I don't know, that's just how I am. The older I get, the more I realize, you know, not getting any younger. (laughs) So... Yeah. Yeah. And the scene for me, uh, you know, it's just a little scene, but it, you know, it is so true. Like when someone passes, like that's what they're, whatever age they're at, whatever memory that people are going to have them, that's what they'll always be from that point on. So, you know, it's very true. And then also, obviously, the whole death and just being the anonymity thing ties in to the whole love part of the story you know if you're loved and you have a family you're never really forgotten whereas this is the cemetery of nobody knows who they are they're dead and basically anonymous and forgotten so it kind of you know it's like the yin and yang thing uh with the love story and then the definite anonymity so i think it ties in very well with the story yeah you're right you got a point so they go to this amusement park when uh there's a Ferris wheel carriage that they're on, and this is where they had their first kiss. That's the Danube over there. It's a river, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is... Go 
gorgeous. Yeah, this is beautiful. And we got, uh, we got a sunset here. Yeah. We got the Ferris wheel. Yeah. Seems like, um, this be a... What? Uh, you know, um... Are you trying to say you want to kiss me? It's sunset, and you can just see when they're kissing that this is about to become something. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's very cute. Like, the physical stuff right before the kiss. You know, you yeah. can see um, Celine going in, like, just making it easier. Like, she's not verbalizing it, but physically she's moving closer. Mm -hmm. She puts her arm up around him. She's giving him basically the green light, you know, yeah. as far as it's a physical stuff scene. goes. It's a very cute and scene. Yeah, it is very cute. And, you know, we've all been there. There, It's a summer night. The sun's going down. It's getting a little cooler. They're at like a fair. Like, you know, it just flashes me back to like being in Ocean City and being around that age, around that time. You know, it's just such a relatable feeling pretty much like uh, just that setting and right just that feel like i just get that feel it's how well done it is it just takes me to my own memories pretty much mm -hmm. yeah so it's now nighttime and they're enjoying the carnival before celine brings up not mattering which is generation you were born in uh we also find out jesse's parents are divorced but celine's parents are still happily married um so my parents are divorced and I know your parents are still happily married. Um, for me, I don't know. I, this scene got me thinking about this. Um, so that's why I kind of wrote it down why I'm bringing it up randomly. Well, not really randomly. It kind of ties into the scene itself. Um, like what? I'm not really sure. I, I didn't really take too many notes on this scene because I was just thinking about uh, personal stuff. But uh, I'm not really sure what what point she's trying to drive home with with bringing this up uh, with the parents being divorced and uh, her parents being happily married. Um, shit, at this point, I don't even know where the fuck I'm going with this. Um, so move on. I just think. <laughs> no, I just on. think. Well, I can talk about it a little bit. I mean, I just think it shapes your view of love and the world pretty much. I mean, you know, Jesse's, uh, Jesse, he's a little bit more skeptical. Like you can tell he's kind of a romantic, but he's trying to be more skeptical about things. And that's just because, you know, his family, they split up, you know, his parents don't love each other. They're split. Whereas Celine, maybe she's not outwardly so romantic. It seems like she's a little bit more optimistic and, you know, her family's still together. So I, it, I think they're just trying to play out. It just shapes your views on relationships and life pretty much, depending on how your parents and how your home life is. Okay. Um, but wouldn't Jesse, wouldn't the roles be reversed though? 
Because if you think about it, Jesse's the one who's pushing for something when Celine's kind of got her guard up. Yeah, but, I think I think their outward is. I think, and let me try to explain it. Like Jesse, to me, like he's he's kind of uh, skeptical uh, in a lot of the movie. And at this point, I think he's just trying to kill time and maybe meet another girl. I mean, he just came off of a breakup pretty much. So right, right. to me at this point, he, he's not necessarily in love or anything. He just might be looking for some fun and a one night thing, obviously, cause he's going home. So, you know, he could be just playing into that, but also you can kind of tell, you know, he wants to be romantic, like meeting the girl on the train and uh, getting her to come with him. Whereas uh, Celine is definitely, you know, she's like open about her feelings. She's just better at expressing herself. She's definitely uh, strong, but there's certain parts where she's a little bit more reserved. So I, I think there's layers. I think just Link later just does a really good job. They're real people. There's layers. It's not black and white. Like, I got you. Jesse's from a divorce, so he just doesn't right. uh, believe in love or believe in family, whereas Celine has parents together. It's not black and white like that. There's gray area and there's layers. So I, I think that's a big thing to take away from it. And that makes sense. Um, so now they're at Klein's Cafe where Jesse kisses Celine again um, before being noticed by a gypsy who reads Celine's palm. And she says, so you've been on a journey and you are a stranger to this place. You are an adventurer, a seeker, an adventurer in your mind. You are interested in the power of your of woman. No, you are interested in the power of the woman and a woman's deep strength and creativity. You are becoming this woman. You need to resign yourself to the awkwardness of life. Only if you find peace within yourself, you will find true connection with others. And uh, she indicates her head with Jesse. That is a stranger to you. She laughs and says, I guess so. And she says, oh, you will be all right. He's learning. And then immediately demands money. <laughs> like, money? <laughs> um, and then she reminds him that they're both stars. And the stars exploded billions of years ago to form everything that is this world. Everything we know is stardust. So don't forget, you a stardust. Oh, no. Oh, my God. You want your palm read? No. No? No, Are you no, sure? no. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Hello. Here she is. I want your hand to read. Uh, French or English? I want your palm read. Yeah, how much is it? For you, 50. Okay? Okay. Oh, so you have been on a journey and you are a stranger to this place. <laughs> you are an adventurer, a seeker, an adventurer in your mind. You are interested in the power of the woman. And a woman's deep strength and creativity. You're becoming this woman. You need to resign yourself 
to the awkwardness of life. Only if you find peace within yourself will you find true connection with others. So this is a stranger to you? Mm, I guess so. You will be all right. He's learning. <laughs> okay. Money. Like you're saying, or you mentioned um, earlier, Jesse laughs this off and calls her act condescending bullshit and then mocks her and shit. Um, and for me, this is kind of the point of the story where Jesse starts coming off as very pretentious and hard to like. But in the end, I think it's just a con similar to any other con that everyone has about them. Like, Pros and cons is more of just a category on the film effect, folks. Everyone has their own pros and their own cons about them. Um, and this is just, you know, an example of one from Jesse. So, the two go to this cathedral, and Jesse tells Celine about a Quaker wedding that he went to, and then a story about this uh, atheist friend fucking with a homeless person. And... You know, it's they're just kind of Link Later's just kind of doing the same, just kind of building these two up, but doing it throughout different locations. Like he's taking these two on a journey, in in every sense of the definition. And we see these two walking along now of the Donakanal. She's telling him that she's having a really good time, a really great time. And then asked if they were together at all. She asked if they were together all the time, what would be the first thing about her that bugs him? And he refuses to answer based on a similar incident with an ex-girlfriend once. And she calls him out for his attitude from the palm reader earlier. Based on all this, sort of. And, and, and he acknowledges it uh, later on or not long after this, that they, these two kind of just, they had their first fight. They're kind of having the whole package in the first night together. I mean, they're just getting to one know each other. And then you can add, you can check off fight to the list because they just kind of had their first little ruffle. You know, she gets, uh, um, uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible with words tonight. But yeah, it's, she, you know, she gets a reaction out of what he says, you know, and she gives it back to him about, you know, the way he was from the palm reader, which is the same thing I said. Like, I wasn't typical. I wasn't necessarily a fan of the way Jesse acted towards her um, in front of her. And then after she left, both, you know, it's just, I don't know. Um... Anything from you? Yeah, I I mean, it's just, like you said, building up more of their character. You know, like I said before, Jesse is playing more of the skeptic. Like, does he really believe in religion or a higher power? And, you know, Celine, she's like this modern, strong woman. But you can tell, you know, she has beliefs. Like, she doesn't want to be just like a stereotypical modern feminist woman and you know, you can tell she wants to believe in God and religion and romance. Like she still wants to be like an old school type 
woman figure as well. Right. So again, uh, layers, and I think it makes sense. And you know, the whole story with the hundred dollar bill, you know, you can just tell that's Jesse. That's one of his friends. That's who he associates with. I mean, they say you are, you know, your friends kind of represent you pretty much, like who you hang out with. So obviously, if he's hanging out with a atheist guy who's going to mess with a homeless man, you know, about his religious beliefs, <laughs> right. Jesse probably feels pretty similarly. So it, it's just telling um, about the two characters because, you know, obviously, Celine was willing to believe the palm reader. Uh, and, you know, like, it doesn't necessarily mean you're religious, I guess, but just spiritual. Like, she's willing to just kind of. Uh, let herself into that stuff a little bit more where it seems like Jesse just isn't having it whatsoever and just doesn't want to believe in it. Mm. So they encounter a poet now who offers to write them a poem with a word of their choice inside and the two of them decide on the word milkshake and are soon presented with the poem Delusion Angel who's written for the film by poet David Jewell. Take us something. I don't hey, care what this charlatan has to say about it. Frage, hallo. Eine Frage, ich möchte was fragen. What? Eine Frage. Oh, I understand a little bit, but she doesn't at all. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, you know, so... Um, may I ask a question? Yeah. So, I would like to make a deal with you. I mean... Instead of just asking you for money, I will ask you for a word. Yeah, you give me a word, I take the word, and then, then I will write a poem with the word inside. And if you like it, I mean, if you like my poem, and if you feel it adds something to your life in any way, then you can pay me whatever you feel like. I write in English, of course. Okay. All right, great. So. Pick a word. Oh, um... A word. Uh, milkshake. Milkshake? Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, I was going to say rooster prick, but great. Milkshake. Milkshake? Okay. Milkshake. <laughs> All right, so... I like this uh, Viennese variation of bum. I like what he said about adding something to your life, no? Mm, yeah. So, uh, were we having our first fight back there? No. Yeah, I think oh. so. I think we were. <laughs> well, even if we were a little bit, you know, why does everyone think conflict is so bad? There's a lot of good things coming out of conflict. Mm, yeah, yeah, I guess so. I don't know, you know, I always think if I could just accept the fact that my life was supposed to be difficult. You know, that's what's mm. to be expected. Then I might not get so pissed off about it. And I'd just yeah. be glad when something nice happened. Maybe that's why I'm still in school, you know. It's easier to have something to fight against. Yeah, well, we've all had such competitiveness ingrained in us. You know, I can be doing almost nothing thing. You know, I can be uh, throwing some darts or shooting some pool. And then all of a sudden, I feel it come over. I have got to win. Is that what you tried to get me off the train? What do you mean? Okay. Good poem. All right. Will you read it to us? Sure, okay. 
daydream delusion. Limousine eyelash. Oh, baby, what's your pretty face? Drop a tear in my wine glass. Look at those big eyes. See what you mean to me. Sweet cakes and milkshakes. I'm a delusion angel. I'm a fantasy parade. I want you to know what I think. Don't want you to guess anymore. You have no idea where I came from. We have no idea where we're going. Lodged in life. Like branches in the river. Flowing downstream, caught in the current. I carry you. You'll carry me. That's how it could be. Don't you know me? Don't you know me by now? Great. It's a poem that Jesse cynically claims the man had already previously written and just inserts the words people chose. Again, showcasing that everyone showcasing that above everyone attitude. Um how do you interpret the poem? I, I think it works at a parallel level. It's not really the poem that matters in context. The focus is on the protagonists and how they react to it. Like notice that it wouldn't get notice that it wouldn't have mattered what word they, you know, gave him. He just would have presented the same poem with just one replaced line. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's a pretty apt uh statement about it. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, like, kind of just working off he was uh, working on wine money or, or uh, liquor money, basically. So they go to this arena club and it's acoustic light on stage. They watch a song. Then he asks her to buy him a beer, something I would never have the gall to do on the first night, although she offers it when they go in because he uses the last of his money on the cover charge. But still, um, that's just a personal thing of mine. They go and play pinball where he finally asked if she's dating anyone back home. Now, I like how he waits till after kissing and being romantic all this time to ask this question, but he finally does. And what I like most about these two is their chemistry and how they just do the smallest little detailed things that I buy into, like how they look and interact with each other and how they even look at each other and, I'm all in on these two unless Jesse turns out to be some sort of psychopath in the end, which I'm not going to lie, would make for some interesting material. Could you imagine <laughs> if Link later took a sharp left yeah. turn in the end and dropped that on us? Like, turns I out say, Jesse's psychopath. Nobody, yeah, if he did a movie like that now, nobody would see that shit coming. Just like he's doing like his face, like his classic 90s indie film. Two people <laughs> right. have natural dialogue talking and then all of a sudden uh, Jesse just pulls out a huge fucking knife in an alley and they just start going at it. It would be <laughs> shocking, that's for sure. <laughs> right, like some fucking Fatal Attraction shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Um so we discover why he's been alone on the train. He says he saved up his money all spring to fly to Madrid to spend the summer with his ex. And he ended up buying a U-rail pass before the awkwardness could get any worse. And he was, and here we are. So the alley monkey conversation that leads to feminism 
and eventually becomes too heavy for Celine to continue. So they go watch a street dancer instead and then head to the cafe. Again, conversations just growing. These two, their character, it's character growth. Um, and now we're at Cafe Spurl. Jesse and Celine stage fake phone conversations with, with each other. Uh, fucking, this is such a fucking cute scene. They're playing each other's friends that they pretend to call. So Celine reveals that she was ready to get off the train with Jesse before he convinced her. And Jesse reveals that after he broke up with his girlfriend, he bought a flight that really wasn't much cheaper and all he really wanted was an escape with his life. I'm sorry, an escape from his life. I know, I know. And you know how they say we're all each other's demons and angels. Well, she was literally a Botticelli angel. I think that's the word. Botticelli angel. Just telling me that everything was going to be okay. Uh, big fan of this quote. Like it sort of speaks to me because I know that I know me and I know how I used to be whenever I would talk to other women. Like I used to I, I, I say used to because it's been quite some time since I last talked to anyone. But angels and demons, that's some good stuff. <laughs> um, then they share another kiss. I like her American accent. <laughs> I yeah. like her American accent. Oh, hey, dude. Funny. Hey, dude. <laughs> <laughs> She's funny as shit, emphasizing that fucking like California surfer lifestyle. It's good. It's good shit. So they share another kiss on an outdoor terrace at the uh the Albert the the Albertina Museum that's overlooking the Vienna Opera House. And then they're on a dock. They're everywhere, man. Now they're on a do uh, a dock boat that's uh being realistic and discussing the future, the two of them. They each admit that they're feeling. They they each admit their feelings, but then bring up the elephant in the room. These two don't live a couple hours away from one another. They live on the other side of the globe, and they're at least smart enough to know that a long distance relationship just would not work because they really don't. And they're realists. I get it. I respect it. So they then agree to to make the rest of their time you know, together worthwhile. And they promise each other to make the rest of the night great with the hours that remain. We should do some kind of handshake. Give me your hand. Alright. To our one and only night together. And uh, the hours that remain. just it's depressing no now the the only thing we're gonna think of is when we're gonna have to say goodbye tomorrow well, we can say goodbye now now i wouldn't have to worry about it in the morning now yeah say goodbye hi goodbye <laughs> alpha later later <laughs> So this 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 scene's pretty much. Um, hang on, I lost my train my, my notes here. Uh, this scene's pretty much inevitable. Like we know, Celine and Jesse have to eventually say goodbye to each other, and at least here, 
they know it'll be here before they know it because but because of their feelings they just want to make the best out of the situation that they're in um and and yeah from the moment she agreed to get off that train we knew that the moment of her or him rather get back and you know boarding a flight or getting on a train you know either way this time together was going to end their, their their day 24 hours however long it was like time only works for so long you know yeah I, I, you know it's just really well done and realistic you know if this was like a hammy it is, it uh, is. lifetime type movie it, it would just be they'd fall in love and oh I'll move right away to Paris or I'll never leave you or we'll stay together or, you know, they wouldn't have a realistic conversation. Like I can't imagine losing you. It would just be cliche BS. Whereas this movie, and that's why I like it. It's just realistic. If you met somebody on vacation that you lived halfway across the globe, you might enjoy each other. You might even fall in love, but you would be realistic. Like you wouldn't just leave your life back at home and any rational adult would know that. And they know that and they're just, yeah, and they're just clearly enjoying their night together, seeing where it goes, and then moving on, essentially. I mean, and that's realistically how life would be, you know? Right, it's a conflict. It's a conflict that they, they, that they knew about. They knew what they were getting into. Um, and here we are. I mean, at some point, this was going to have to be brought up. So we're at that point now. But it's not over because, like I said, or like they said, they just want to make the best out of the time that they've got left. Um, so we take it. We we take the um, the night to a wine bar with Jesse telling the bartender that it's that it's their only night together, and there's a problem that she wants red wine, but he doesn't have any money. Um, and he's, he, he says that he was thinking that he could get the address to the bartender. He could get, he could give, get the address of the bar and send the money back after he gets home. And he says he promises he'll send the money and that he'd be making the night complete. And then he shakes the bartender's hand to show that he's going to pay. Hello? Uh, do you speak English? Mm, a bit. Yeah, a bit. Well, yeah. all right. I'm having kind of an odd situation, which is that um, uh, this is... You see that girl over there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is our only night together. Um, and she... Uh, <laughs> all right, here's the problem. The problem is that she wants a bottle of red wine. And I don't have any money. <laughs> but what I was thinking was that you might want to um, uh, give me the address of this bar. No, I know. And I would promise to send you the money and you'd be making our night complete. You would send me the money? Yes. Your hand? Okay. For the greatest night in your life. <laughs> Thank you very much. 
does Jesse send money? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, it's, well, it could go I, one of two ways. Seen, he could say, I, I, chances I, are that guy forgot I'll, I'll about me this. and fuck him. Go on. Well, well, I'll say this. I didn't know if it paid off in the third movie. <laughs> I haven't seen the third movie. I didn't know if maybe uh, Linklater would throw like some kind of little payoff in there or something uh, because it's obviously left ambiguous. Um, but I get the feeling he probably doesn't and not, I'm not saying it in a negative way. I'm just saying he, you know, right now he's in a different world. And then I think once he gets back home, back to his normal life, I think he completely forgets about the wine and the money and the address and all that. Doesn't forget about Celine, but I think he forgets about that, to be honest. Yeah. I don't know. I'm torn. I want to believe he does. I do. But I don't know. Maybe he just kind of forgot. It could happen. I don't know. It could go either way, honestly. Um, so now we are at the park scene. And if you've seen this movie before, you know what this scene is. So my question to you, Corey, did Jesse and Celine make love? Well, I mean, having seen just this movie, you know, like when I first watched, so it kind of threw me off because when I first watched this movie, I would have said no. But then seeing the sequel, uh, obviously it did happen. But, you know, it's kind of left ambiguous a little bit because she says she doesn't want to make love, but then they start heavy petting and rolling over. So I believe they do just based off the sequel. But if you would have asked me, have when I in a world where I just saw this one, I would have said no, if that makes any sense. So I wrote this, this is what I wrote down. I think that they did because the movie's about being spontaneous and taking chances. The events throughout this film have been based on those two things, and all that's led us to this moment, which if you've ever been in love before or had a night on the town with a significant other, Chances are the thought of sex has ran through your head at least once. That being said, I believe the romance led to the passion. So, the sun's up regardless. The birds are chirping and Jesse and Celine are walking along the street while the harpist chord is heard. And eventually seen as they check out the window and then slow dance to it before Jesse suddenly stops and takes a mental picture with her so that they both never forget this moment together. Which I like this touch. I love this touch. I love the inclusion of like a mental moment, like a like a mental photograph. Just take a just just soak in this time, this moment, the here and now. And um Yeah, if done right, it'll always be implanted in the memory so i like that they incorporated this i think it's a smart move it's it's um um i don't know it's 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 just it's an adorable scene together like i say um and then we get the two sitting together on a statue uh at, at an outdoor terrace at the albertino museum again then they realize here that they missed the cow play and then here I have here in my notes. <laughs> I have here in my notes. Link later should have shown the cow play and added it down the road so that we could have had before sunrise the cow cut. 
<laughs> That's what I want to see. New Criterion. Dude. Yes, new Criterion. Yeah, the new Criterion Extra. <laughs> we, f- we found that new footage, guys. We got the cow cut. <laughs> I just imagine, I'm just so intrigued by that because I just imagine like that avant garde German guy just like in a cow suit going, moo, like in the cow. Moo, like, yes. I don't know. I just keep thinking. talking about the hooves <laughs> like, and shit. He's like, you have heard my hooves and my horn, like just avant-garde <laughs> shit, which is a trick guy in a cow suit. That's just what I'm imagining the whole time. Yeah. Oh shit. Uh so now we're at the train station and they're both breathing so fucking heavy like it's cold outside, but they're they're nervous and scared and obviously don't want to end things, but like I always say on the show, it's been fun, but now it's done. So the film ends with the two of them agreeing to meet at the train track nine, six months from now at six o'clock at night. Okay, you know what bus you're taking to the airport? Yeah, right? yeah, no problem. I should get on this one. Right here? You want to get on it? All right. Yeah. Um. Okay. I guess this is it now. Yeah. Um, I really... I... I mean... You know... Yeah, I know. I... Yeah. I have a great life. <laughs> I've done with everything you're gonna do. You all know, right, all right. Work Good luck hard. with school and all that. Okay. Oh, I hate this. Me too. The train is about to be... Yeah. Listen, listen, you know all this bullshit we're talking about, about not seeing each other again? I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that either. You don't either? I was waiting for you to say Why didn't you say something? I was afraid maybe you didn't want to say something. All right, well, listen, what do you you want to do? Maybe, maybe we should meet here in five years or something. All right, all right, five years? Five years, that's a long time. It's awful, it's like a sociological experiment. How about one year? One year. All right. One year. How about, one, how about six months? Six months? Yeah. It's going to be freezing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? We come here, we go somewhere else. Okay. Okay. Uh, six months from now, last night. Um, uh, last night. Six months from okay. last night, which was uh, uh, June 16th. So, uh, track nine, uh, six months from now at six o'clock at night. Dece- December. December, yeah. Now listen, it's a train ride for you. I gotta fly all the way over here and shit like that, all right? But I'm gonna be here. <laughs> okay, me too. All right. And we're not gonna call, right? Or... No, no. It's depressing. Yeah, okay. All right. All right, your train's gonna leave. Say goodbye. Bye. <sighs> goodbye. Over. Later. Bullshit. I just popped into my head <laughs> when you said that, like, it's fun, it's been done. Then I'm just thinking of Sean saying, Bye, Felicia. Like, I'm just thinking <laughs> of Ethan Hawk now saying that. Bye, Felicia. That just walked <laughs> off. Which, funny enough, Friday came out the same year as this, 1995. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, so we see Celine alone as she enters a passenger compartment on the train, and we see Jesse alone as he takes the escalator and then the train station. Then later, as he rides the bus to the airport, 
and we get our closing montage of various locations from the film. And Jesse, well, hold on. they talk about go. you didn't talk about the six month thing. They agreed to meet up in six months. I did. I said that the, the oh, film. Oh, you did. Okay, I must have missed that. Yeah, I said it ends with them agreeing to meet uh, at train track nine six months from now at six o'clock at night. So oh, okay, my bad. We get the closing montage showcasing all the places that they've been throughout the film. And the final scene of Jesse boarding the train, closing his eyes as the film ends. That is 1995's Before Sunrise from Richard Linklater. And with that being said, let's talk trivia tidbits. Now remember that, because the more you know. So... I don't have a whole, whole lot of trivia for this, but I have some. The idea for the movie came, let's talk about the origin of this film. So, and I'm pretty sure, do you know what the origin of this movie is? The story? Lake Ladder? Yeah, I don't his... know the, I don't know the, yeah, I don't know the exact details. I know Link later based it off of something in his life, but I don't know the exact details. So, the idea came from the backgrounds of both, Linklater and Kim Krizan. Linklater spent a night walking around in Philadelphia with Amy, a woman that he randomly met one night. Krizan rode around Europe on trains meeting people and on one trip met a Norwegian man on the way to Paris and ended up walking around the city all night much like before sunrise. Krizan has never revealed whether or not they had a romance that night and they lost contact. Linklater and Amy stayed in touch for a while until contact was lost and he never heard from her again. It was not until 2010 that Linklater found out that Amy had died in a traffic accident before the release of Before Sunrise, the first film in the trilogy. Chrisanne has never reconnected with the Norwegian man that was with her. That was her inspiration for the famous night of walking around a European city. So, he had a similar night, Richard Linklater, with a woman named Amy. And he made this movie, didn't have any of her information. Again, this was the late 80s, early 90s, so there's no technology, you know, no cellular devices or shit like that to keep numbers. Um, didn't have any of that. Made this movie in hopes that she would see it and that maybe in, in, in some sort of act of fate they could have rekindled but unfortunately, she had passed away in a car accident prior to this film's release, so that never would have happened. Um, Link later, when asked about improvisa- improvisation in Before Sunrise, said, "It's a compliment when people think it's the, the sunset, the sunrise trilogy improvised." But I don't think anyone could ever understand how much work it is for them. Referring to Delby and Hawk. Delpy also explained the lack of improvisation. The truth of these movies is they are tediously rehearsed, every script plan, every detail planned, every overlap-the-line scripted. She told the Chicago Tribune in 2013, it's so precise that it's almost a joke when people think we are acting on the cu- acting off the cuff. Um, which is so funny because I don't, I, I think the dialogue in this movie is just too clever to be improvised you know what i mean yeah i never got the impression that they're improvised but i could see you know it's so natural i could see where people would think of that but 
yeah, I never got that impression, but, uh, you know, interesting enough because Hawk and Delphi both had input on the writing of the um, film, but they weren't credited on this one. They were credited, I think, for the next one. And that's why they got credited for the later two, two movies because, exactly, they didn't receive... They went uncredited on... Un, un, you know, it wasn't really something that they wanted. Let's just put it that way. And that... Um, yeah, it's not solely written by Linklater. It's definitely, you know, Delpy and Hawk's hands are absolutely involved in this. Um, story writing uh, from, from, from a story standpoint. So, uh, with... Uh, that being said, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy are the only characters in the movie whose names are are people. They're the only people given names in the movie are uh, Jesse and Celine. The movie takes place from June sixteenth to June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four, and finally, when Ethan and Julie exit the train in, in Vienna, Ethan has a heavy leather jacket slung over his shoulder. Although shot at the Vienna train station near midnight, it was during one of the hottest summers in Austria. Till then, it was still 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Ethan still carried that jacket for the remainder of the film. That's why he has it off, because of the heat. So yeah, let's talk box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. The film premiered at the Sundance Film Festival on January 19th, 1995, before being released a week later from Columbia Pictures on July, I'm sorry, January 27th, 1995. Opening theater count was 363 screens. It grossed $1.4 million on its opening weekend, coming in at number 11. Second weekend, it it grossed $1 million, coming in at number 15, with just a slight drop-off. Total gross was $5.5 million against a budget of $2.5 million. Um, home video sales and whatnot, not that it was, you know, people were just kicking down walls and jumping over gates to get their copies of fucking before sunrise on vhs back in 95 96 <laughs> but what i'm getting at is i'm sure over the years through home media and uh such uh this film has at least you know made somewhat of a slight minor profit uh but there's well, no I, was, I, I, I wouldn't I, say it lost money at all for uh Morgan I, Creek. I wouldn't i would argue I would argue that the theatrical run, it probably made a little bit of profit just because I know normally there's a lot more money towards advertising and things like that, but I just can't imagine that they spent several million dollars on advertising this movie. I, I know they, obviously I don't remember. I know they probably did advertise it somewhat, but I don't think they spent like millions on advertising. Like it was probably a relatively small uh, advertising budget. So I think this movie was probably a modest success uh in my estimation you know between the box office and the um mm -hmm. video market all right so let's take a walk in the credits corner and see what they got to say about this movie <laughs>
film's got a Rotten Tomato score of 100%. Based on 43 yeah, you don't see reviews. That that often. <laughs> no, you do not. With the but cri- also, this movie is old. So that's, yeah. that plays into it. If it was released today, you know, like a modern, it would, it would probably have a few negative, but to be honest, the people that are probably writing reviews on Rotten Tomatoes are probably people that are fans of the movie and want to review it and want to get it out there more than anything else. I'm not taking away from it because the movie deserves a high rating, but that's probably why it's at 100. Well, the critical consensus says thought-provoking and beautifully filmed before sunrise is an intelligent, unbashedly romantic look at modern love led by marvelously mature performances, natural performances from Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. The film carries a meta score of 77 out of 100 based on 18 reviews and has a cinema score of B. Ebes gave Before Sunrise 3 out of 4 stars and described Delpy as ravishingly beautiful and more important, warm and matter of fact speaking English so well the screenplay has to explain it. She spent some time in the States. Uh, Janet Maslin wrote, Before Sunrise is as uneven as any marathon conversation might be, combining colorful, disarming insights with period lull, periodic lulls. The filmmaking clearly wants things led this way, but both these young characters trying on ideas and attitudes as if they were, they were new clues. Um... That Janet Maslin. Never know what's going to come out of her mouth. So Hal Henson from the Washington Post said Before Sunrise is not a big movie or one with big ideas, but it is a cut above the banal 20-something love stories you usually see at the movies. This one, at least, treats young people as real people. Definitely, ditto. Peter Rayner from the LA Times wrote, It's an attempt to make a mainstream youth movie with a bit more feeling and mysteriousness than most, and in this, it succeeds. Entertainment Weekly rated Before Sunrise number 25 on their top 25 modern romances list in a 2008 Empire poll Before Sunrise was ranked as the 200th greatest movie of all time. And finally, in 2010 British newspaper The Guardian, they ranked Before Sunrise Before Sunset number 2 on their critics list of 25 best romantic films of all time and number 2 in an online reader's poll. All right, let's talk pros and cons. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. Why don't you start with your pros real quick? Yeah, so uh, I got several pros just because I'm a fan of the movie. Uh, The writing. Uh, which is obvious. It's just so real and so natural. Uh, you know, there's other directors that can pull off really slick, good writing. You know, Tarantino comes to mind, but I wouldn't say his dialogue is real. Linklater has such a knack for just realistic, slice of life feeling dialogue. You know, even yeah, though there's I'm nothing over the top or cartoonish about his dialogue, it's just real and no. in your face and just down the earth. And it's not stylized or hyperized. Like in Tarantino movies, everybody's slick talking and fast. And Using that's not how words. real life is. Yeah, that's not how life is. It's entertaining. It makes for a good film. 
But for what Linklater is trying to go for, for just a realistic uh, meeting of two people, he just nails it. I mean, the writing, if that's what you're going for, which obviously Linklater is, he just nailed it. Like, yeah, I, he couldn't do any better. And I know he had help, uh, but um, the writing is just so fantastic. Um, an X-Pro is the leads. Uh, you know, this movie, even with the best writing, it doesn't work if the acting isn't on point. Um, you know, the margin for error for this type of movie where it's just basically all dialogue scenes is pretty thin. It needs to have the two components. It needs to have the writing and it needs to have the acting and the lead actors are just so natural. They just throw in so many small physical things like them between at the record store uh, when they're first meeting in the Ferris wheel, there's just so many small things of just them looking at each other, the way they touch each other. Um, you know, just Jesse trying to be so cynical, but he's obviously romantic. Uh, and just Celine, um, you know, just trying not to be your typical feminist. Uh, she, you know, she obviously is kind of that, but then she also wants to be, um, you know, just like a normal girl. She doesn't just want to be stereo, uh, typical, and just practical uh she also just wants to be more spontaneous and spiritual as well so it just all goes back to the writing and the layers uh for the characters but ethan hawk and julie delpy just bring it to life like they just have an innate chemistry in this film uh even without good writing i think they would have that chemistry so it just really adds to it and they both just knock it out of the park they're both just great you know they both have their own pluses and minuses as characters and mm -hmm. they're just so interesting. And, you know, when I um, went to watch the next film back in uh, the day, I just remember it's like revisiting old friends, kind of like you just feel like, you know, these characters after this film. And that's just a testament to them bringing in a life. Mm -hmm. um, I and, agree. and then my last uh, my last pro is the setting just being in uh, Vienna, just this pretty European town. You know, it doesn't overdo it in the film you know some movies you feel like you're almost like on a like uh well, what do they call it like a tour guide video or something where they're just trying to show off the location so much and overdo it so much it just feels real like it it does uh, link later doesn't overdo it uh with the location you feel like you're in vienna you feel like you're in that european uh town but it's not overdone um and the setting just adds to it with them being on vacation and just basically going YOLO and just <laughs> being in this town together and just enjoying this night. But I think the setting really adds a lot. And it's just so beautiful, like when it's like it's sunset and then you just see the passage of time. It's just all done really well with the setting in Vienna. So I really think that adds a lot. And that's uh, that's it for me. All right. For me, I have. First and foremost, the dialogue. And then I have. Uh, Linklater's ability to keep the viewer engaged for 95 minutes with the story given to us. Uh, Hawk and Delpy, the cow guys, and the movie's full <laughs> of culture. Those are my five pros for this. How about cons? you have any cons? Uh, not huge ones. Um, and I just had one. You know, I, I yeah, I'll I'll just say my one, and I'm not taking a big dig at this movie. I'm it's just an innate problem with this type of movie. There's no real conflict. I mean, there's a little bit because obviously 
they're getting to fall in love with each other, but they live on separate uh, parts of the world. So there is a little conflict, but to me, um, a lot of great movies, what makes it is conflict. Like that's what drives story. That's what drives drama. This type of movie doesn't have it. I'm not saying that's, you know, that that's the whole point of this movie. There is no conflict. It's just right. a slice of life type movie with real characters. I know that's exactly what Linklater is going for. Um, but you know, at the same time, it's very, it's a, it's a very fine line. This movie nails it, but you know, I could, I would be okay if it had maybe a little bit of conflict and I could definitely see how maybe somebody who wasn't as drawn in by the writing and the dialogue and the acting would just think this is boring. Oh, there's nothing going on. There's no conflict. There's no action or anything, you know, cause that's a pretty common complaint I would think for this type of movie um and also the pacing um it was brought up in the critics corner it's kind of like a conversation you have your ebbs and flows and in this film it did you know it's only an hour 40 so it's not a long movie um but i think there's a couple parts in there maybe could have just nipped and tucked maybe made it a little tighter i actually think the sequel is a lot tighter and a lot better flowing than this Mm -hmm. movie is not that it flows badly not that i feel like it's long not that it flows badly but uh, you know, maybe like five minutes taken out wouldn't have necessarily, to me, been a terrible thing. All right, my con. It's not even a fault of the film. It's I wrote down not for everyone. It's a very dialogue-driven movie that I think might throw people off. Some people that not, might not know what they're getting into with this. Um, I don't know. I just how I could, I just wrote down how it could be. You know, not for everybody and um. It's yeah. not even a big one, like I said. So, no, Move. I agree. I I think we I think we both kind of said the same. I I just might have said it differently, but yeah, I think yeah. we both kind of had the same idea. It's just we did. you're in for a long conversation, just not necessarily for everybody. All right, Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? For me, I wrote down. Tone down Jesse's sudden pretentiousness during the movie. That just kind of comes out of left left field that I'm not a fan of. That I called him out on and even uh, Celine does at one point. But yeah, it just, I don't know. It doesn't really fit in with this. I, I, I could do without it because it doesn't really leave a lasting impression on him. It just comes from out of nowhere in the middle of their grand date and then... For, for reasons beyond me, he, you know, she, she sticks. I don't know. It, it, it all still works out. So, um, how about you? You have a, you have a, any mulligan moments? Yeah. So mine's a little bit creative. Uh, you know, if you ask me honestly, I, other than making a few trims here or there, I probably really wouldn't majorly change anything. But I just wanted to throw it out there. The record store scene really didn't do a lot for me. That's probably my least favorite part of the movie. I do like when they're in the recording or the, I mean, the listening booth and they're looking at each other, but the rest of it, when they're talking beforehand, like, yeah, it's neat to see the record store, but I don't know. It didn't really add anything for me. It's not a long scene by any stretch anyway, but you know, I could have did without that. Like if they trimmed out that part and just had like a, drop in of them in the listening booth kind of real quick looking at each other you know and maybe in a little bit of editing 
I'd have been okay with that. And also I'd have been okay if they put in a little bit of the play. I want to see the guy in the cast suit, you know, so maybe drop that in, uh, take out a little bit of the record store. That would be my mulligan moment, not having the cow play <laughs> and the record store. I love taking it. some of that out. I love it. All right. Let's talk about the good finger looking good. Finger licking good. I love this movie equally throughout. I do not have a favorite moment. And I mean that. I thought about it for a good two hours. A solid 120 minutes. And could not come up with a a part of this movie that I say. It's my favorite part. Because this movie... It, there there are certain movies that are like this and believe me, we've covered them in the past. I just can't think of them off the top of my head that just flow this good and it just, you know, I, you can't, it's hard to pinpoint a, a, a favorite scene when they're all just so damn good together. Um, and that's my take on this. That's that's my feelings. I, I don't have a favorite moment because the whole movie goes together so well. It's really hard for me to pick a movie or a moment that I like, you know, out of the bunch. Especially when it's a movie that I, I just hold near and dear to my heart. I love this whole series. And, um, yeah, that's my answer. And I'm sticking to it. Yeah, for me, it's a little bit uh, easier. My definite, my definite favorite is the first act so basically the whole opening train scene i love i just think it captures so well when you're meeting a new person and you're interested and you want to know more and you're nervous and i think it just captures that energy and that feeling uh of meeting somebody it just does it so well and it just really hooked me and it just really made me want to get to know the characters more and see more um, and then also a little bit later when they're on the um, little tram or the other train, uh, I don't know what it's called. Um, I, don't know, I don't know. Around here, it's like light rail or whatever, but there, I guess it's called something different. But when they're on the little train doing the questions and then uh, Celine just answers honestly, and she's going into all this detail about her first love. And then it's Jesse's turn. Have you ever loved somebody? Yes. Well, that's complicated. I don't know. It's just such short answers. Uh, but you just learn so much about the characters right there. And then when Jesse goes into whole, his whole thing about the souls, like, you know, how is it reincarnation if there's, you know, 5 billion people versus 50,000, like there was, you know, hundreds of years ago. Uh, you just learn so much about the characters. It's just so interesting. So really that just whole beginning third of the film is my favorite part not to say that i don't like the rest because i think the whole movie is great uh but that whole right. first third just drew me in so well and i was just so interested and it was just so well done i could easily see myself having one of those conversations in real life all right well let's pick our mvps all right now you might think i'm a little biased but i take my job as a presenter very seriously i will show no favoritism I am here to honor excellence. The most valuable player is... My MVP for this is Julie Delpy. I think she's incredible. I think she just slightly outweighs Hawk in this. And she is so just intelligent and, and strong and is just 
helps carry this movie. I'm not saying she does it herself, but Hawk plays a huge, a crucial hand in that. But I, I just think that she's just that, um, I, I think she's the best thing about the movie, honestly. And, uh, I don't really have any other, you know, woody ways of, of putting it. It's just that she's the best in my opinion. And you? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the obvious pick would have been either one, Ethan Hawke or uh, Julie Delpy, just because they both do so great. Because it's it's tough to bring to life a realistic character and make them likable, but also make them have some flaws. Because, you know, both characters have that. You know, with uh, Ethan Hawke playing Jesse, where he comes off very pretentious and cynical. But in mm-hmm. other parts, he comes off innocent and romantic. So I think he did an excellent job. And then uh, Jolie Delpy, you know, it would be very easy for her to come off as like a feminist activist that just complains or on the other side, uh, it would be very easy for her to come off um, depending on how she acted as just, you know, like a uh, just a stereotypical girl. So, I, you know, they both come off extremely likable, but with their own little uh faults so i thought about them but when i really got down to brass tacks i my mvp would be link later and kim uh Krizan. i just think the writing is so even in this movie because it's very rare to get a romance movie like this where it's really kind of a neutral perspective like a lot of uh, romance movies it's either for kind of from the perspective of the woman made for a female where it's kind of more schmaltzy and more romance something like maybe the notebook or something like that where i just have no interest in watching it whatsoever most of the time and then you have maybe some other romances that are geared more towards the men it has more male centric view uh kind of what men think about women stuff like that but this one just feels so even honestly i think you you could be really anybody and enjoy this movie it's one of the few romance movies that i think um, has excellent writing for both male and female because you don't get that a whole lot. <laughs> you might get one in a movie, but it's very rare you get both. And I think that goes down to Linklater and Krizan. And, you know, Linklater was just so smart. He's like, I'm a guy. I don't know exactly how a woman would talk. I need to bring in a woman. And then uh, that's why he got Krizan because he had collaborated with her in the past. Um, so it, it was just a brilliant thing to me to have a woman come in to have natural dialogue and then obviously i know they're not credited but ethan hawk and um julie delpy had input as well but i'm giving my mvp to link later and um why is her name escape me i just said it literally a second ago <laughs> um god i'm having a brain fart prison um i think their oh, writing yeah, is yeah. just what brings uh yeah link later and kim prison is just their writing is to me what makes the movie. The performances are great, but I think the writing uh, and the dialogue is to me what stands out the most. I agree. I definitely agree with that. All right, then let's talk. Well, final ratings, final thoughts, all that jazz. I say we uh, tie a bow on it and put her to bed. Uh, so in the end, I'm giving this a five stars. This is a perfect film. There's not, there's nothing I would change about it. Like I said, I, I I love so much. I love everything about this movie. I adore so much about this movie. Just 
to me, when it comes to romantic films, like the story of Celeste, uh, uh, sorry, the, the, the story of Celeste and, uh, Jesse, it's, it's just, uh, an all timer for me. I love these two. And, uh, hopefully we'll get a ninth movie there, or I'm sorry, a ninth year edition of the series this year. But like I said, at the top of the show, I am not holding my breath. If it happens, it'll be a bonus. So, other than that, um, I'm happy that we have the trilogy that starts with this perfect movie. So, again, five stars, perfect sunrise. How about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, my rating's pretty close. So, you know, and it, when I'm on the show and I do the rating, I try to think of, you know, what type of movie. Because it's hard to compare movies across genres like it's hard to uh compare this to like an action movie or a big blockbuster or sci-fi so to me i just look at the film and just see kind of what genre it's in and what it's going for um and for this genre for the romance genre and what lake later was going for i mean i give it four and a half out of five i mean i think it's near perfect i don't you know, it's pretty much one of my favorite romance type movies. Not that I watch mm-hmm. a ton just because that's not really my thing. Uh, but this would definitely be at the top of my list. Like if somebody said, Corey, what's a good romance movie that you'll like? This would be right up there. The before trilogy and especially uh, this one as well. It would just be right up there. That would be one of the first things that pops to my mind. So I have to give it four and a half out of five. I would say, like I said, the only thing is to me, it does. There's a couple little ebbs and flows uh you know the whole movie goes pretty well but i could have done with a trimming or two so that's why i knocked it down half a point but four and a half stars i just think it's a fantastic movie mm-hmm. um i love that it's set all in one night while they're on vacation i think that's brilliant to do it all in one night i know that's like a uh link later thing that he's done in a lot of his movies um and it's just important to indie filmmaking i mean um you know, in the 90s, that's when all these indie movies were really coming out and the barrier to entry for a lot of these directors got a little bit easier. And I would say if you're thinking about like a 90s indie filmmaker, Richard Linklater would be like one of the top, at least for me, that I would think of in that time. Um, so I just think it, this is an important movie when I'm thinking about indie filmmaking at the time. And I just love the themes about, uh, you know, finding yourself kind of, you know, like uh, you know, Ethan Hawke or uh, his character Jesse explains he got broken up with and he just wanted to get lost for a little while. Right. And I think that's uh, a good way of looking at it, you know, just getting lost and discovering yourself. I always wanted to travel Europe so I could relate to that. I mean, I've been to the UK, but I've never been to uh, you know, the rest of Europe. So I've always wanted to travel and just go to a bunch of different countries. I've always found it really interesting that mm-hmm. you have so many countries just so close together. <laughs> Whereas we don't get that, you know, we don't get that in America. You laugh, I mean, but like I could drive 10 hours and yeah, I'm in a different state. They might be slightly different, but I'm still in the U.S., you know. So I've always found it so interesting of being in Europe. Uh, I just think it makes uh, people a little more cultured over there. I'm not saying that in a bad way, but you just have so many different countries and cultures uh, so close by. So I've always found that very interesting. Um, Yeah, and it's just a like I said, just a, one of the best romance films. And I, I just love the fact that it's so great for men and women. Yeah. Agreed. 
All right, then. Well, this episode is sponsored by The Power of Fate. Keeping things real since the beginning of time. Everything happens for <laughs> a reason. Every Jesse deserves a Celine. We're all... <laughs> what? No, 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 no. I thought you were going to say the power of love. <laughs> <laughs> Start singing it. Every Jesse deserves a Celine. We're all meant for someone. All that being said, this film definitely gets that film effect seal of approval, and that will bring things home to this edition of the show. One down, many more to follow. Check out our ever-going collection of previous episodes on our website at thefilmeffectpodcast.com. Time to bring horror back to the film effect. Coming this Friday to Netflix is a brand new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And with that, we'll be heading back to Texas to talk all about the original 1974 Texas Chainsaw Massacre right here on the Film Effect Podcast. When? This coming Friday, gang. Chainsaw 74, right here on the Film Effect, the original Toby Hooper classic. Thanks to everyone who downloaded and listened to both the Do The Right Thing and Crow episodes this last couple weeks. The reception has been very positive so far, and that means the world to us. Please follow us on various social media platforms. For all updates and latest news, we're on Twitter, where we can be found at Film Effect Pod. Corey, where can they find us on Facebook and Instagram? The Film Effect Podcast. All right. How about TikTok? At Film Effect Podcast. All right. And how about an old-fashioned email address for the old-fashioned cats and dogs out there? Where can they send them to? The Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. All right. Kids and heroes, we put a lot of time and effort into each episode of the podcast. So please, please, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or directly on our website under the Reviews tab. It lets us know how we're doing, and it helps us conquer the almighty algorithm. You can also find direct links to all the platforms mentioned at our website, which once again is thefilmeffectpodcast.com. It's that simple. Thank you all so much. Excuse me. Thank you all so much for your time. I know it's been fun on my end. Corey, I had a blast doing this with you. Thank you so much, brother. It's been a pleasure doing this episode with you, and hopefully you come back for at least midnight, if not sunset. Yeah, no, I like, I, I mean, I like, um, you know, not to get into spoilers, but I like sunset. So, I'm, you know, I'll definitely have to watch midnight. You know, it's funny. I just thought of this, not to derail anything, because I know we're closing, but I literally had the Criterion Blu-ray, I think, in my cart. And I don't know if it like was temporarily out of stock or something happened. I didn't get it. I, I remember ordering because I was like, I want to see the third one. I didn't get it, and then I just completely it just slipped out of my eye. I forgot about it for however long it's been. Like you know, I don't know. Remember when it came out? But it's still now on that Amazon. We're talking about it. You can still buy it for forty nine ninety nine. All three no, films I I on Blu ray. I, I think. Yeah, I think I had like it was a good deal, and I think I was gonna buy it, but for whatever reason, it got canceled or something happened to it. So now that I'm thinking about it, I was like, oh man, I'm gonna have to get that eventually. All right. Well. Until next week, don't be such a square bear, Care Bears. See you all again on Friday. It's been fun, but the fun's finally done. 
Take care now. Bye-bye. See you guys. And remember, everybody, talk hard. (laughs) (laughs) Ten points for anybody who can get that. Toodles. This concludes our broadcast day.